listening to the quarter to three games podcast for uh you know oh i, I actually know the date because it is the the ides of march eve eve two days before the ides of march uh and i am tom chick and my game of the week is not starcraft 2 <laughs> and my name is vicky and my game of the week is not slenderman what is that is that a real game Yes, it is a real game. It's a spooky horror game. I kind of want to play it. Oh, so Slenderman. No, I totally Slenderman. It's, it's from like an urban legend or something, isn't it? it or is. was it just some internet meme? Or But like it existed as a scary thing before it was a game, right? Yes, I believe it was a spooky tale that kids would tell each other in the 70s. That there was like a scary that. man out in the woods, and if you wander away, he'll catch you and take you away. I think there should be a movie about that. <laughs> like, that would be terrifying. <laughs> uh, no, Vicky, are you into like horror movies, or, or are you too much of a chicken for that kind of thing? Well, it's funny because I'm I'm terrible at movies. I hardly ever watch movies, but with games, I actually watch a lot of playthroughs of people playing horror games, even though I'm way too scared to play them myself. <laughs> uh, what's uh, what's like if you were to think of like the scariest game you've ever seen? What would you pick out? What stands well, out for you as an example of a scary one? I would say Amnesia, The Dark Descent. Uh, especially if you haven't played it before or have no idea what's coming for you, mm-hmm. then it's it's pretty pretty scary. It, it kind of wears down on your, your psyche. <laughs> they do that cool thing where they, I think, where isn't that the game where you're not supposed to look at uh, the monster or the scary thing? The idea is if you look at yeah. it too long, it, I forget if it damages you, but but uh, you need to be like careful where you're looking, right? That's that's a part of the gameplay, yeah, but if you look directly at the monster or at something unsettling, like, for example, I don't know, a dead body, then your sanity will slowly drain and, uh, yeah, your visuals will change and you'll eventually start crawling on the floor because you're so terrified. Uh, aren't aren't the folks who did, so Amnesia, I believe it's called Amnesia, colon, uh, A Dark Descent. Um, mm-hmm. are, do you know what their next game is? Because I love the name of it. Um... Oh, that's a good question. I haven't actually done any research on that. I'm sure they're working on something, though. They, they are, and I, I hope I don't have this wrong, but I believe okay. their next game, and I don't know if it's like Amnesia colon, but at some point it's it's called uh, A Machine for Pigs. Oh, yeah, that is a part of Amnesia. Because yeah, before, lo- yeah. oh, go ahead, sorry. Before Amnesia, they had Penumbra, uh, a couple other Penumbra oh, games, them. I believe. I didn't know yeah. that was them, yeah. It okay. is them. And then they made Amnesia, which is, of course, a huge hit. And then there was uh, downloadable content that was free called uh, Justine. And then they're coming out with a machine for pigs, which is supposed to be absolutely horrifying. And at whatever it is, I, I just I look at that name, and I'm, it, it could either be something really cute, like they're little pigs in bow ties and top hats, and they drive around on uh, a machine, or it could be something like really scary and gross. And I suspect in their in, in their case, it's the latter. Yeah, <laughs> like something that slaughters pigs. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're they're going for the the slaughterhouse idea. Yeah, calling people pigs and yeah. basically killing people. Gross. All right, well, that's a very pleasant start. Uh, so I, I love that we got off on this tangent, uh, but I want to talk to you specifically uh, about your Let's Plays. 
Sure. Um, so you started doing a Tomb Raider one for quarter to three. Yes. Uh, and you and I spoke a little bit before about this, but this isn't, you know, you're, you're not, uh, you're not new to this. Uh, so tell us how long you've been doing, uh, Let's Plays and how did it start? Well, I've been making Let's Plays for about two years now, um, and it started when I watched um, another Let's Player on YouTube by the name of Mangaminx, and she she does horror games. I don't know how I got myself into watching that, <laughs> but I watched that, and I recognized that her style is, well, her humor is that she's really angry all the time, I think. <laughs> but I thought maybe I could add something to that or have my own take on that idea. Do you, when you do a let's play, do you intentionally try to do it a certain way? Do you just let it happen? Um, is it like a performance for you, uh, or are you just playing a game and saying whatever comes to mind? I don't like to pretend to be someone I'm not. So really, I just have a no. I'm really just myself playing a game and talking, saying the things that come to mind. <laughs> so tell me, uh, what is the purpose of a let's play, and who is it for? That is a really tricky question because with Let's Plays, the reason people why what the reason people watch them depends on the person who's watching. So it could be that you're curious about the gameplay, or you can't afford the game and you want to see what it's like, even though you're unable to play it, or you've played it already and you want to see what someone else's reaction is to certain parts, or it could be that well you just really like the Let's Player and you want to see what they're playing. I, I do think there is a bit of. I can imagine. Uh, I'm kind of new to it, but I can mm -hmm. imagine there's very much a um, personality element. Just like I list, like to listen to certain podcasts based on who's talking. I can mm -hmm. imagine a lot of people who follow a Let's Play follow it almost more for the person speaking than the actual game itself. That's um, very true. <laughs> you know, it is kind of sounds like you with uh, Manga Minx. Like, even though if you weren't necessarily into horror games, it sounds like you just kind of responded to her style and her personality. Uh, and that's. Does she still do them, by the way? Is she someone that we can find on YouTube? Yes, you can. I believe her. She's changed channels, and it's uh, RPG Minx. So mm -hmm. even if you just you know look it up on YouTube, write in RPG Minx, and you'll find her. And mm -hmm. she usually does scary games, which I don't have the heart to do. <laughs> You're kind of doing one now, though. Kind of. What? <laughs> a little bit. I am? Oh, is it to Tomb Raider's a little scary? Come on. There's a, you, you even responded to it. There's that, that body hanging up there. And, uh, oh, I'm fine with that. That's and there's, fine. <laughs> there's a dude chasing you, trying to grab your legs, and he obviously that? did not have oh. honorable intentions. Uh, no. You know, there's, there's bones everywhere. You even mentioned <laughs> there's got to be a thousand dead people in here. Uh, I, I will say, Vicky, and I'll be curious to speak with you more about this as, as you play it uh, in the coming weeks, uh, I'm a huge fan of horror movies, and one of the things I really like about Tomb Raider is that it has a lot in common with horror movies, um, whereas a lot of video games, certainly like the Uncharted games, they come from more of an adventuring, swashbuckling kind <laughs> of background. Tomb Raider has a lot in common with horror movies, so just to warn you. Okay, yeah, I read about that, um, some article I read last night, I don't remember who wrote it, but they mentioned that it has a lot of similarities to The Descent. Mm -hmm. I've seen The Second Descent, and that left me with nightmares for two weeks. <laughs> I'm terrified of that movie. Oh, goodness. Well, uh, you'll, you might be glad to know, Vicky, you watched the wrong one, because uh, the first one is just so much worse than the second one. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, uh, way better. 
Uh, all right. Well, so as far as like let's plays, um, are there certain games that lend themselves better to let's plays than others? Well, yeah, it depends. Hmm. Well, if a game is extremely slow paced, then it might not be good for a let's play because people might get bored. I mean, there's only so much you can do to fill an empty space with your voice. Um, well, from my perspective, anyway, that's how I feel. Um, I'm not there to talk about myself, so if there's nothing to talk about in the game, then we're kind of left with a big empty silence, which isn't that great. Um, another thing are games that are, hmm, I guess you could say a little bit too fast-paced because then there's no time to talk about anything or laugh at anything strange. So you really need to, uh, well, look at the gameplay and figure out which game is appropriate. In the time you've been doing it, is there ever a time where you found yourself playing a game and you think, maybe this wasn't such a great idea for a Let's Play? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of discontinued playthroughs on my channel. <laughs> Let me go and remind myself which ones they are, because it's been quite a long time. But there but, have definitely been times where you're like, I'm going to do this game, and it's going along and going along, and you decide, nope, never mind. Exactly. Like You're going along, and you think, this game is great, and then you kind of realize, no, this game isn't that great for a Let's Play. Mm -hmm. So you have to stop. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, with, uh, with Tomb Raider, which you've just started, mm -hmm. uh, tell me briefly, uh, how are you finding it so far? And I know you've only spent a little bit of time with it, but if someone were to ask you, hey, how's that Tomb Raider game, what would be your response so far? It's absolutely amazing. I, I'm, I didn't want to stop playing it. I started off and... It, Within the first 10 seconds, you're on a boat that is torn in half. You're drowning. And then someone pulls you out of the drowning place. And then all of a sudden, you're on an island. You see people. Then you hit across the head. And, oh, my goodness, all this happens within the first minute of the game. Hmm? And then you start playing it. And you really feel inside the game, like like as if you are Lara or as if you're, you know, like a little guardian angel on her shoulder. And you just really want to help her through this situation, and you're both fascinated and terrified at the same time. <laughs> so that's what I think of it so far. I think it's awesome. Now, in the first playthrough, um, mm -hmm. you, you got to a point where it seemed like there was some frustration with what we call the, the QTEs, the quick time oh, yeah. events, where it wants you to learn, okay, now you got to press this button. Uh, what was that frustration? Were you worried that, oh, people are seeing me, people are going to get bored watching me try to do this? Uh, what happened there that you decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to stop this and, and come to it later? Well, it's never fun to watch someone try something over and over and over again and not succeed. So I thought I should end the playthrough there and figure out what I need to do before, you know, I, I you know, lose people. So what really happened there is pretty silly in my opinion. Um, it says press E to kick under the subtitles mm -hmm. in the same font as the subtitles in the same size as the subtitles. Like I mean, someone was saying that, like the guy was yelling that or something. You didn't need to know what he was yelling because you could hear him. Yeah, but right, I, right. I mean, if they could have just written E in that small circle that appears for the quick time events, that would have saved me so much trouble. But they didn't do that. They wrote E under the subtitles where in a quick time event, you don't have time to read the subtitles. You're concentrating on what's on the screen. Uh, Vicky, so I, I, have, I have two words for you. Okay. Console system. 
<laughs> because on the 360 and I presume the PS3, they actually do the color coding for the button and the, the, the symbol on the button on the screen where that icon is. And, and I can completely understand your frustration because that's one of the facets of the PC game is I guess they don't know how people are going to bind their keys. There's no quick visual indicator for you know, a key the way there is for a color-coded button on a gamepad. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I, my heart went out to you watching that because I, <laughs> I, even playing on the console system, I had to do that. Like, I think I died three or four times under that rock mm-hmm. because part of what it's teaching you is the timing for those button presses in that the circle starts out and you wait for it to get inside a smaller circle, but before mm-hmm. it it contracts all the way. So what that's doing is teaching you, hey, sometimes you're going to have to the X or the Y button, and you're going to have to kind of be careful with the timing. Um, so I think a lot of folks died a few times, but when you're on the <laughs> PC and you don't really understand the symbology, there's no easy shorthand, uh, it can be even more frustrating. Um, now, have you, have you since gotten past that? Uh, is that anything you've revisited yet? No, I haven't done that yet. Actually, I was planning to do the second part after this, <laughs> this recording here. And uh, does that does that mean that we can see the next one sometime soon? Uh, what, when can we expect to see where you go next? Mm, I would say probably later tonight or sometime tomorrow, but most likely later tonight. Oh, good. So in the next few days. Good. <laughs> awesome. Okay, good. Uh, are there other things that you're playing right now? Normally on this podcast, we we sort of touch base with what mm-hmm. what games folks are playing and what they're really digging lately. Uh, is there anything else you're playing these days? Yeah, oh, you did mention to me, I think this is before we recorded, uh, mm-hmm. Swords and Sorcery. Yes, <laughs> I love that game. All right, I love tell me, yeah, sell me. Uh, you kind of already did, but for folks listening, sell me on Swords and Sorcery in like two or three short sentences. Why should I play? What looks to me just like some point-and-click adventure game, which doesn't even have that fancy graphics. Oh, my goodness, you're really laying on the pressure here. <laughs> um, it's not just the game. It's it's an experience. I mean, hmm? it's beautiful. It really brings you into the game. You care about the characters. You care about the story. And you really feel like you're in the game because it, there's no quick answers to anything. You have to figure things out for yourself and use your brain, which I love. And the music is amazing. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I think you've done fine. By the way, you had me at You Care About the Characters. Uh, I find that's something that so few video games do well. You know, you mentioned Tomb Raider, the fact that you call Swords and Sorcery out for that. Uh, I, I think of, when I think of the games that have been my favorites, they're games where there were characters that I cared about because that's such an important part of, of narrative and storytelling for us that I just feel like, Video games need to be getting that right every time. You know, there's no reason I should sit and care about Master Chief in his armor or whatever. <laughs> that might be a bad example because a lot of people do care about him. But mm-hmm. that, that for me is so important. So I'm glad to hear you call out Swords and Sorcery for that. Um, and any, anything else you're playing these days? Skyrim. Always playing Skyrim. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you had to guess, actually this might even be on your, your saved game. Do you know how many hours? Because a lot of people, I think where almost as a badge of honor the number of hours they've spent in these Bethesda games. Would you would you care to hazard a guess uh, for Skyrim? Hazard a guess? Um, well, certainly more than 24 hours. <laughs> so at uh, least a full day. More than that. I mean, I, I believe I'm level 59 or 60, so <laughs> I would say maybe a week straight of, of gameplay, perhaps. 
<laughs> and, I, and I think some of us who've seen your videos, too, and have seen how carefully you've arranged your bookshelves, uh, know that you've been doing a lot more than just running around killing stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hunt down stories. I, I'm, I'm like a Linus on the hunts for storytelling in this game. There's, there's these little, like, how you call them, uh, Easter eggs hidden all over Skyrim, and I hunt them down. I find those notes. I read them. I just, I love it. <laughs> You know, a lot of people ding the Skyrim or the Bethesda's games in general for for throwing all those books in there because that predated Skyrim. That was in the Oblivion game, uh, mm-hmm. and there's all these books full of writing. And I think a lot of people just like pick them up and look at them and think, "Oh, if I'm not going to get a skill point for this, I, I just I'm not even going to look at it." Um, so you actually like read those? Like you actually are, are reading the text that the writers at Bethesda have written? Uh, some books, yeah, I can't say I've read all of them. I mean, sometimes I just pick them up because I like the cover. <laughs> and I think, oh, this will look nice in my collection. But sometimes I do read them, yeah. Mm-hmm. I am interested in the storytelling. I mean, it's pretty odd when you're sitting at your computer playing a game, reading a book and turning the pages. <laughs> it's kind of weird, but, yeah, I mean, I enjoy it. Now, is it true that there's only three Skyrim videos on your channel? Uh, yeah, because I only recently set up my PC system where I can record. <laughs> you mean for, for your Let's Plays? You haven't been doing those on the PC? No, I haven't. Most of the time it's been on my MacBook. Oh, sometimes, I see. I yeah, see. sometimes it's through emulators. I have to get the game to work, which is a bit of a headache. But I got my PC now, and it's all set up to do recordings. So that's why I only have a couple Skyrim videos. <laughs> Uh, well, Vicky, I look forward to seeing uh, the next chapter in uh, in Tomb Raider. I really appreciate you for for doing this for us. Uh, and you will be back next week to tell us a little bit about uh, about how it's coming, right? Definitely, I can't wait. Awesome. So we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week, Vicky. See ya. And so that is this week's podcast. Uh, join us next week when we will be. Wait, hold on a second. Oh hey, you guys come on in. You're 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 late. I almost gave up on you. Look, it's Jason McMaster and Rob. Oh Rob, do we say your last name or forget? Uh, sure, my name is Rob Harvey. <laughs> yes, so it is Jason McMaster, and Rob Harvey. I just didn't know Rob if that was like you post as chaplain. I I can't keep track of who's okay with using the entirety of their real name. So I didn't want to out you in case you didn't want people to know that you are Rob Harvey. Uh, but at any rate, welcome, uh, Jason McMaster. You missed our intro, so you now have to tell me what is not your game of the week. My game of the week is not StarCraft II. You can't do the same thing that I did, and that's what you have just done. Burn! Oh, okay. Uh, no, about... no, that's fine. That's fine. McMaster, sometimes great minds think alike, and you should let them do that. Rob Harvey, what is not your game of the week? My game of the week is not Dungeon Land. Oh, poor Dungeon Land. It had a, it had a brief run, didn't it? it? It did, and you know, I got kicked out of you know at least one country for you know, you know my my great evangelizing of it. Uh, but alas, this week it is it is not my game. Rob Harvey, do you have any regrets about evangelizing Dungeon Land? I don't. I think it was a, and you know, when we get to those whole year end lists, you know, several months from now, I'm hoping I still remember it for what it was, uh, or is. Hopefully, it will still be an is. Um, and that it, it was just it was a game that had uh, it was an outstanding game for what it was, but one of the limiting factors and probably one of the reasons why I didn't stick with a lot of folks is, um, and I think it's a similar problem that one of the other games that just flopped well, was uh, uh, Pocket Heroes had is that 
it seemed like it was designed to play one way and only one way, and that included a certain number of players working it a certain way with a certain mindset. And Dungeon Land just it was kind of designed to be three people playing against one person, knowing that that one person had an advantage. And if you tried to play it as a one-player game or a two-player game or even a three, it just kind of didn't work. So, right. so I understand why it's not your game of the week. Fair enough. Um, now, we've already mentioned it, uh, but we have all been playing a fair bit of this StarCraft II thing. Uh, this is actually an old game. When did StarCraft II come out? Well, like two years ago or something. And Blizzard takes their time. You'd think they would have—they'd be milking it a little bit more. Oh, no. um, yeah. So, but they just released uh, Heart of the Swarm, of course. Uh, we we didn't we have a one v one v one? Who won that when we played? I forgot who was that. Uh, well, no, wait, wait—is the question who won or is the question who <sighs> lost? I'll go with either uh, answer. I don't seem to recall who did lose. Yeah, uh, well, I would argue that I lost the game. Who uh, lost? Who who uh, also I lost? lost. Oh, so let's see. Let me do some quick math. Uh, subtract oh, the Rob. Oh, this be quick, yeah. Sub- mm-hmm. Subtract the McMaster. Carry the Tom. Oh, I won. <laughs> now, now, quick. Who was playing the sub game of uh, Sim City? Sub game of Sims? Like you mean you had it running in a window in the background? Or something? <laughs> well, I mean that there was clearly a lot going on between two of the three players. You know, that's always that. By the way, Rob is the last refuge of the loser in a three-way game is the old, well, you guys didn't fight each other. Uh, McMaster, I seem to recall there was some conflict between... Oh, you know oh, what no. I mean? I went directly for Tom, and then you came in <laughs> and, like, hit me uh, pretty hard. I just moved my base and just made a bunch of army dudes and shot your your probes. I mean, I Yeah, well, that's why I argue that, that I lost. I, I made a big mistake, and I made this mistake that many people can make in, in free-for-all games, board games, whatever, in that... You 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 don't want to focus on beating some person because the the other people you aren't beating they're still in it. And I, I think I the two things I think I really probably should have done is not hit Jason as hard as I did and just walked away. And then also I think I made some some serious micro uh, mistakes when I finally confronted your your all bio army. Yeah, I mean like me killing the probes. Well, I mean to be fair, you did run them next to my base and then they just sat there. So I was like, uh, I'm going to shoot them. I mean, uh, it, 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 oh, the ones in the southern area. Yeah, but yeah, those that that was my third. That was actually after I had already been knocked out, more or less. Oh, I wasn't really paying attention. I was just trying not to get murdered. I think the only way to really win those three-way games is not to play. I agree, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, shall we not play a game? <laughs> uh, so, well, what, what we're and as maybe you could tell in the discussion between McMaster and Rob there. None of us is very good at StarCraft, uh, and that's kind of the point today, is uh, we've all been playing StarCraft, and I think we're all pretty bad at it. Uh, and that raises the question, is StarCraft really a, a valid RTS for the people who aren't good at it? You know, is, is there anything there for us casual RTSers? And of the three of us, some are, are less casual than others. Uh, but I think none of us is really a hardcore, you know, stick to one RTS, get really good at it kind of player. So what we want to talk about is how does StarCraft hold up for guys like us? The the most I played was when Wings of Liberty came out. Um, I was in a two-man team uh, doing the backup tech stuff. That's why I always went for Void Rays. 
Um, so yeah, I'm not very good one-on-one though, at all. But uh, I can usually live long enough to provide a severe kick in the end. Uh, does StarCraft to you, McMaster? How do, does it? Do you feel that it, it's different from other RTSs in terms of how valid it is for casual players like us? Yeah, I think so. I mean, just with a lot of Blizzard stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, the people that are willing to put in a lot of time are rewarded by the fact that there's not a, a lot of wiggle room in most strategies. Yeah, I, I would also describe myself, obviously, as fairly fairly new to, or not new, but very casual, and I think it's part of you know, where I'm at in life. But before we go too far, Tom, I know sometimes you get a little bit in hot water on some things that are said. Uh-oh. Yep. And Uh-oh. and I know McMaster is usually the VO talent of the podcast, so I, I hope I don't step on any toes. Uh-huh. But I did run a little something through uh, the uh, QT3 legal staff. Yes. And, and I want to make what, sure to get this up front, okay? What did they report back, right? Uh, what they said was... They're always, by the way, they're always coming down from the, the third floor and harassing me down here in my office. Those guys won't leave me alone. So I finally told HR, look, if legal needs to talk to me, have them write a memo and not come down and bother me. So now well, it sounds like they're going through you. It's so weird that, you know, you and I have an office in the basement of the building that I don't. I can't be distracted by a view. I just. I think that was actually decided on by the legal team of, to move your offices <laughs> down to the basement. If I recall correctly, I remember that meeting fairly well. It's, it's very. The boiler room and they, Yeah, they said the boiler room is too good. No, we need to move these guys further away from anybody who sees daylight. So what? What trouble are they making now, Rob? <laughs> so anyway, legal staff wanted me to pass on that. Yeah. <clears throat> The so-called facts reported in this podcast are only the opinions of the speakers in this podcast and do not represent the views and opinions of professional StarCraft players or possibly anything resembling what arguably is the objective truth. The probably untenable truth you are about to hear is that of middle-aged men sitting around the kiddie pool wearing swimmies and lobbing judgment towards Nobel Peace Prize-winning physicists juggling flaming chainsaws and perfecting their micro-skills with neonatal heart surgery while landing the perfect dive in the deep end of the pool. Possible side effects include nausea, vomiting, hair loss, eye rolling, and yelling in an empty room at a podcast listening device. Second Amendment accessories are not included. If you have rage lasting more than four hours, please consult a physician. Please hate responsibly. Those legal guys, they they sure are polished. I'll give them that. (laughs) They try. Uh, well, you know, that does uh, definitely, that, that's a fair slant on uh, what's about to happen here. So, you know yeah, what, I, I, sometime th- those guys go to law school and, and that many years, and they're bound to be right eventually from time to time. So uh, legal pegged it. Very nice, Rob. Yeah, they, they did seem kind of worried that there would be all kinds of anger and disgruntledness about, I'm sure, something we're about to say is completely inaccurate. But, you know. Because I, I was about to, I was basically just going to hold forth for the entirety of the podcast about how uh, void rays are overpowered, uh, and it looks like now I have been legally prohibited from doing that. <laughs> oh yes, and I, I was about to say that you know my my favorite part about trying to make sure that my probes gather as much resources as possible is to make sure that my queens stay very close to my marines. So. Wait a minute. I think you just broke the game. <laughs> what? Yeah, I no. don't think queens are supposed to be new marines, are they? <laughs> no, no. They're the ones that increase the rate at which my probes uh, gather uh, resources. Oh, right, right. You can build the marines, right, of course. Yes, and so that I can build my marines faster. Because right. those you know, marines, it takes them a while to come out of the hatchery. 
And, yes, you know, it does. <laughs> and especially, and you know, when, when you're trying to get your siege tanks out of a gateway, uh, you know, that's just I'm trying to lay a larva in the gateway to boost the training time of the siege tank. It's just insane. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And when I was running this all by legal, that's when they started, you know, pens were going furiously, and I, I think they wanted to say something. So I almost was going to do like a, a StarCraft quiz with you guys that would be things like, uh, you know, what has more hit points, a, a mutalisk or a zealot? And it occurred to me, I, no, no, but we don't know stuff like that. <laughs> that's just going to be, <laughs> that's just way over our pay grade, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, so we are all casuals. Uh, so, yeah, everything we say, take with a, with, a, with a grain of salt, but that's the point of this podcast is how does StarCraft hold up for dilettantes like us? Uh, so, Rob, uh, do you think that StarCraft is qualitatively different from other RTSs in terms of how casual players like us can appreciate it or enjoy it? Um, would you say it, it is somehow unique among RTSs? Or would you even know, actually? is that uh, Do you know enough about RTSs? that you'd be able to comment on that? Well, I guess over um, my gaming years, um, I guess it would depend on how you compartmentalize that statement because StarCraft II is very much like the way RTSs were. Um, I'd argue a lot of them have changed over time. A lot of them have grown into completely different entities all the way to something that seemed like a distant cousin, like the way the, the MOBAs work, where they really have their roots in RTS, but they clearly resemble nothing like you know, the old days of creating workers and such not. Um, approachable, I think that's part of what makes StarCraft II what it is and what also drives the casual gamer away is because it it really is kind of, it seems, built at its core to be an eSport type thing. And, and part of the way they do that is they seem to really have, it's a very mechanical game. It's really about how many actions you can crunch out in a certain way, and really there's a right and wrong way to do things which adjust, you know, depending on certain meta and patches and whatnot, but, you know, there's there's certain rule. I mean, as a casual gamer, you don't walk into a game and go, I must get 24 probes on the, my resources or I'm inefficient, you know, but that's just that's a known, that's just the way things are in certain circles. So, to that sense, I think it's very difficult um, to approach this kind of game, whereas something something else in the way some of the RTSs have grown. Some of them have completely gotten rid of, of bases altogether, or they've really consolidated resources, so it's just one building. Um, but you, couldn't, you wouldn't have the same beast if you did that with StarCraft, because I think part of what StarCraft's doing with all the individual workers is really making chunks of the build order important, which plays into the esports side of it, but it's really hard for certain casuals to get their head around or really to enjoy, um, whereas you know new games would... Uh, they wouldn't have that, and, and part of that is not only your build order, but it also creates, you know, sizable chunks of hit points, so to speak, that can really be tallied as far as how much is being done to a given side as they hurt their uh, hurt their resources. Mm-hmm. Now, how about though the fact that it has a, a robust ranking system, though, where ideally guys like us could jump online and after the five uh, ranking matches be pitted against folks who are at our skill level. Uh, doesn't that mean StarCraft is perfect for casuals because they're only going to be playing other casuals? Um, you know... If they can make it through the five games, 
Yeah. You know, <laughs> having some sort of breakdown. Starcraft is as a game I really want to enjoy. It's something that I really the idea of playing it is so much better than the reality of playing it. Uh, because like we were trying to do that ranking system just the other night, and I'm not sure how long you can last as somebody who's played, you know, in my case maybe three or four games against people, and it literally matches you in the first what well, the only games we played against Diamond and uh, platinum level players, that's really disheartening. Um, whereas it seems like they'd want to, if they want to do that, you'd start the matchmaking closer to the middle. Or I'm, I'm not sure what's going on with the matchmaking, but it seemed crazy that that you know when I don't even know you know what key is to build and whatever that kind of stuff um, to <laughs> then see these crazy like tower rushes and, and specialized attacks, defenses. It just wow. <laughs> I will say that those were those people's individual ratings, and what happened with us, I think, is that a lot of people were trying 3Vs yesterday, and maybe they'd been reset. So, I don't know. I think maybe we ended up getting just kind of matched poorly because it was launch day. I, I really think that's, that could be part of it. Well, it could be launch day math, and I was a little worried about that when we launched it, but still, I would think some part of their algorithm in the background should be able to say, hey, this, because it's an account, right? They should know, hey, this account has played 3,000 yeah, games I'm against a sil- people. I'm a silver level. I think Tom's a silver level. <laughs> so, yeah, so Rob, we might have dragged... Have been thrown on <laughs> we, we might have dragged you a little bit higher than you should have been, Rob. I, I should oh. confess. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not, not by much. <laughs> Well, I, I want to then say, as far as StarCraft versus other RTSs, I think it is a miserable choice for casual players for a couple of reasons. Um, not to say it's a miserable game, and uh, not to say I'm not enjoying it, because I very much am, but if you do not want to, if you don't approach a real-time strategy game as a skill to be learned in the same way that you would approach, say, a fighting game or a driving game where you want to shave a few seconds off of your lap time, um, and, you know, in fighting games where you have to, like, I've never reached this point, but people talk about how many frames of animation it takes oh, for certain hits. Like, yeah. And if you don't approach StarCraft that way, I think you are, are not playing the game Blizzard designed when it comes to head-to-head multiplayer. Well, I almost take it like, I think, I think they've tried to make a lot of advances in that, though, because I don't know how much you've messed with the new matchmaking stuff. Because uh, they have training as well now, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was actually pretty cool. Uh, but on top of that, the AI stuff and everything they've added, they, it really does kind of give the casual something to do. Well, we'll get to that. In, I mean, I, I want to oh, separate sorry. that part of the, the conversation because you're absolutely right, McMaster. But I'm talking about as a head-to-head multiplayer oh, game. As you know, if you're yeah. going to if you're going to jump into the the matchmaking and hope that it takes care of you. It, it can early on. I mean, you can be matched against people who aren't good at the game as well. But if you want to keep playing, and if you don't approach it as a skill-based game like a fighting game or like a serious driving game, I, I think you're not playing the game that Blizzard designed. Um, and there aren't that many, like you mentioned, Rob, there really aren't that many RTSs. RTSs, for the most part, have gone a lot towards um, more spectacle and and more forgiving in terms of build orders and economies, and particularly micro. Uh, one of the dirty little secrets about StarCraft is it is so micro-dependent in terms of how well you do during an encounter. 
it, it's, it's actually equally dependent on macro. I mean, the, the, the tactics and the economy of it are are very much hand-in-hand. They're, they're very lockstep. I mean, you can't neglect one or the other. Um, so you can be really good at managing your larva or or putting your marines, you know, building your, your refineries and whatnot. But if you don't master the microsystem, you're only going to get so far. You're, you're going to... You're going to basically cripple yourself uh, in multiplayer. And there aren't many RTSs that demand that kind of meticulous micro skill anymore. Um, so if you're just, if you are wanting to play a multiplayer RTS, uh, I think StarCraft is a terrible choice unless you're willing to be really dedicated and you're willing to practice and train. And as a casual player, that's just not something I'm that interested in. Yeah, it seems like you have to, you have to really train on things that just, Fighting game is a very good analogy, in my opinion, because you really have to train things that, you know, as I approach a video game, I don't really want to work on muscle memory, you know, whereas that's that's critical in this kind of game, and I think it's really what they are targeting with the eSport, and I'm not sure if it was even needed, because we look at, you know, the other major competing eSport of, say, League of Legends, it seems seems very powerful as an eSport, but at the same time, it's much more approachable for the casual because it's not so rote on you must do this and this and this and all of these things at the same time at this kind of crazy speed. Right. Well, that's the thing about League of Legends, though, is it's almost like a, a game of personalities and just knowing how to play different characters and stuff in different ways in a team environment, whereas StarCraft 2 is... You're you're playing your opponent, but you're also playing against the system at the same time. And uh, if you can't get them both down, that's a problem. And McMaster, you mentioned so you brought up the new AI skirmishing feature. Uh, How how do you feel that uh, makes it more palatable for casual guys like us? Well, I'll tell you, and this is kind of like an overall analogy for what Blizzard does, because it's almost the same with, with World of Warcraft, is that it, they, they try to design their games to have appeal to just about every kind of player. Like, using World of Warcraft as an analogy, if you, you, you can attract anybody from super casual people who just like you know, doing whatever and uh, farming, etc., to the very hardcore. And it's all pretty accessible just depending on how much time you want to put into it, uh, which is something they're good about. And I feel that they've done a good job on StarCraft II recently. Now, it wasn't, say, this in the beginning, but recently with the addition of the AI uh, because it allows you to play against, and as Tom and I have discussed many times in the past, uh, StarCraft's AI is no joke. Uh, like, you know, I, what was it like a few months ago, you and I just uh, got a wild hair and decided to play some StarCraft 2 against the AI, and we put it on, like, normal or something, and it kicked the hell out of us because we hadn't played in a while. I was like, yeah, we might need to turn this down, and that's saying something. Um, but it, it gives you this opportunity to learn in a competitive yet stress-free environment. <laughs> Why do you say stress-free? I feel perfectly stressed when the AI is beating us. No, I, really? I think that's a very valid point that, that McMaster is getting at right there. Uh, I don't feel that much stress. I, what I feel when the AI is beating me is that yeah. I have done something wrong. I don't feel that it's exploiting. I feel that it's playing like the perfect game of golf. It's playing par golf. And if I don't get a few birdies in there, and I don't make enough bogeys, then I can win. I don't understand the words you're using, but uh, <laughs> oh, come on. you're talking sports. Yeah, I don't, I don't care how many touchdowns the AI gets. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, to me, McMaster, I'm just, I just sort of say that by, by way of saying that I 
don't like when I'm playing a good AI or a good human opponent, it kind of doesn't matter that much to me unless the human opponent is like making little uh, dick drawings with ASCII characters, you know, and insidious <laughs> that like we got the other You night. mean like our first matchmaking? Yes. <laughs> um, but I, I just I I feel the same kind of pressure against an AI that I do against a human player. Uh, and also the same requirements are there in terms of how well you do. I mean, the AI is is really good in that it uses the entire box of tools, just like a good oh, yeah. human player would. Uh, so I kind of feel, McMaster, it, yeah, if you want to come to StarCraft and just play the AI, you still have to know a, a lot. Of, you know, you're still playing the same game that you're playing in multiplayer as far as having to practice. You know, McMaster, we came... Let's, here we are, a couple casual RTS players. We've been playing a lot of Age of Empires 3. We think, hey, let's play some StarCraft 2. We haven't played that in a while. We jump into that, and we get slaughtered by the AI, just like I think we would have against a human player. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, there's no, but I guess the, the AI gives you something to practice against that isn't going to show you a dick drawing. <laughs> that is, and I will, right, the AI is much more gracious as an opponent. Yes. It even says GG at the end. Yes, it does. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think it's a, a big difference, a huge difference playing against an AI than it is playing competitive, even though in this case it still keeps all of its technical bits and it's still a very mechanical game. And being an AI, it can even it has crazy micro because that's kind of the best thing about oh, yes. an AI. Um, I mean, it, like you just know that if you put a unit near the natural counter, it's going to go and hit that unit. And but at the same time, it's a very different and much more relaxing feel to just kind of like, okay, I'm this is I'm going to kind of learn this. I'm going to see what it does. I'm going to play with this, and it doesn't feel the same as playing in a live game where you know opponents might just be jerks about certain things or it just has a different sense of of uh i don't know pressure or competitive so i it's kind of like playing horde mode in say gears of war versus playing a competitive even though you're kind of doing the same thing i mean i guess the rules are different there but it just feels different when you're just there with your buddies playing against some ai you know, just kind of hanging out, enjoying a casual experience. Sure. Now, Rob, I would, I definitely agree with that if you're doing things like purposely playing the AI at a lower level, you know, right. at an easier level. I was going to uh, bring that up. Uh, yeah, well, so in your... Hmm? Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, even if you set it at a crushing difficulty setting, I would still say I would, I would enjoy playing it at a crushing difficulty, trying to figure out, you know, as we say, okay, well, let's try it again. We're going to build here. We're going to try this, and we're going to, you know, do that. You, you would enjoy it for, like, Two seconds, because crushing, like, that's about all you would have before you're being invaded or something. <laughs> well, that's true. If you're talking about, Rob, like, if you make it challenging, if you put it at the threshold sure. of your challenge level, right? Yeah, you want it to be a point where it's slightly outside of reach, but but still, I would I would argue that that's more enjoyable than, you know, ending up against a bunch of platinum players or, or even, again, even, I think I'd even rather play the AI to difficult setting versus playing players of equal skill level than me, just because it has a different... I mean, look, if I go to work and I come home and I just want to play, I, you get kind of tense when you're playing, at least I do, get kind of tense when you're playing a competitive game. And, uh, well, I guess I have two, two things to say about this. One, there's a statement made in the forum about, about Heart of the Swarm coming out, and I believe it was Wolf who stated that when he was playing competitive games, he had the feeling that he had one of two options. Either he was going to, uh, what was it, he was, he was essentially going to, not feel good about winning. He was just going to feel that he was avoiding disappointment. 
Um, oh, by, I feel good about winning. winning. That's different, I guess. <laughs> well, it's just, I like dance I'm, around and yeah. Especially in a, in a ladder type environment, I don't know. And then and the other side, which which I, I really maybe I'm the demographic that your guest from from last week, I think it was Blair, was talking about when he was saying that he thinks there's a hidden demographic about folks that would just enjoy playing against an AI as opposed to a competitive element. And I absolutely agree with that. I think that is that is huge. I've seen some MOBAs try that, and I find that a much more just relaxing, fun right. way to play it with friends rather than like, okay, we're all going to get all tense and see what we can do and try to win. And, and it's, just, it's just a different experience. I guess the thing is there's two different points I think that are being made, and I want to make clear that I'm only talking about one of them. It, in, in a psychological sense, I definitely agree with you about the difference between multiplayer and playing against the AI. You know, I can't help but psychologically think of the jerks on the other side of the computer when they beat me with some cheesy trick, uh, as was the case with that photon cannon rush that we suffered last night. You know, those guys... I I, so so there, there's that psychological element, and I definitely agree with you there, Rob, and there's certainly a psychological element of you bring up, like, horde mode in Gears of War. I, I really no desire to play Gears of War against other players, but I love playing with you guys horde mode against the AI. And that's largely a psychological thing. What I'm sort of, the point I'm trying to make here is that, that mechanically speaking, as a game for casual players, you know, if you play a competitive multiplayer game of StarCraft II and you're not approaching it as a skill-based game, you're, you're, it's going to fall apart for you. It's, the Blizzard designed it that way. And mechanically speaking, you know, approaching it as a skill-based game where you have to really learn the micro, where you have to really, you know, you can't just do uh, unit counters by the seat of your pants. You have to know what units counter other units, for instance. Um, as a game like that, even when you're playing against the AI, it's still the same. It's still as casual, hostile as it is in a multiplayer environment. Unless you, of course, just dial down the AI, oh, yeah. and you just want to sort of mess around with the units and turtle and, and then beat off the AI stuff for a while and then sally forth and kill him. That, that's one way to do it. But as far as the basic skills needed when you play it competitively, it's the same against the AI as it is multiplayer. Um, that's, so so that, that's, that's kind of the point I was trying to make there. Yeah, I would, I would agree there is that, that essentially that schism. And the second point being that it is still, regardless, it is a mechanical game. But I argue, even though I have to work on my mechanics, either one, either either one I'm going to have to start learning to pay attention more to how many workers I have and when, and when do I start my second base, and when do I resource and in what way, and, and, you know, all these things, I still find it, as a casual way to approach it, much more relaxing to try to, to, to work on all those things against the AI. But that being said, their overall design being very, very regimented and technical, um, you're right. I think that does steer away from the mechanics, or the mechanical, the mechanic elements do scare away the casual feel, and I think ultimately that's probably why, given a few weeks, I'll, I'll put this thing right back on the shelf and, and you know, maybe not approach it when the third expansion comes up. Now, well, McMaster, uh, McMaster, tell us a bit about the AI, the new AI skirmish mode, and I'm curious whether you feel that addresses this this issue. Like, you can be in a ranking game against the AI, right? Yes, and I mean I feel that it does to some extent, but and, and well, okay, well let me explain really quick. You have to play just like in ranking uh, or the ranked games. You have to play several placement matches against the AI, and AI determines your skill. It starts out on easy. If you beat it, it goes to medium. If you beat it, it goes to hard, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh, and uh, yeah, 
we managed to beat it on hard in a three-player, so I cannot wait to see what the next level over hard does to us. Uh, anyway, we won't have to wait long, probably. Uh, the, uh, but you, and it kind of tries to place you against an AI player, uh, of around your skill level. And the only problem I'm really having is that I'm not good enough to go to the next skill level, but I'm better than the skill level I'm on. If that makes sense. So I keep waffling back and forth between two skill levels. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it, that's kind of weird. But other than that, uh, I am quite fond of it. However, I will say it's not a particularly casual, friendly game in general just because of, I mean, the layout of the menu. I mean, if you like the campaign, sure. You can get to the campaign pretty easily and play through that stuff. You can get through the matchmaking stuff pretty easily. But it's really not that... I don't know, just the layout of the game is overall kind of confusing. Are you talking about the user interface and the menus? Yeah. yeah, yeah oh, okay, so let me interject for a moment, because I just had a very frustrating moment right before this, where I was trying to get a quick game with McMaster, and all I wanted to do is just, I wanted to try out this, because if you play it with just, play against AI, it gives you a random map, a random setting, all that kind of stuff. All I wanted to do was see the new tile set, so I wanted to just go in there, create a game with the snow tile set, you know, on whatever snow map I could find with four players, throw in two AI, have McMaster join me and launch. Something that on pretty much any other multiplayer game I've played ever is pretty darn quick and easy to do. But I was I was just going through all kinds of menus trying to figure out, no, no, this is trying to get me into the matchmaking friend finder menu. No, no, this is, now I've got like the, the map I want, but how do I, how do I invite McMaster? Oh, actually, this isn't the map I wanted because it's, it, it's, I thought it was going to be the right map, and it just took like a long time of sifting through the menus where it seems like it's just built from the go to basically have you just launch into different types of ladders, and that's with zero modifications on your own. Right, yeah, the custom so game system is pretty bizarre uh, and a little bit difficult to figure out, but uh, I don't know. I, and I do think that probably one of the biggest challenges that the casual player faces in StarCraft other than, like I was saying, the interface is the fact that I don't know. I find the campaign's kind of boring. Uh, like, uh, I haven't played it through the entirety of Heart of the Swarm, but uh, it's kind of boring. Uh, the the custom interface, like the custom game thing, I think part of the problem there is it does it just so differently from our other RTSs, like you mentioned, Rob. Uh, but I think once you get on board with Blizzard's system, the reason they do it that way, I think, is, I guess, to avoid just bombarding you with a bunch of maps, like, download it onto your hard drive because the idea is you have to go into the custom game and you have to browse through and find the map you want to play on and then it drops you into the, the standard interface where you can set you know teams whether or not it's a free-for-all what speed you want to play at all of that stuff do you want to drag ai in but it seems like because of the way that they allow for custom maps because of the way they allow for mods they want you to browse at that level you know, what map are you going to play on? What mod are you going to use? Once you've chosen that, then you can do a more conventional setup. But, yeah, that, that can be frustrating and weird to get used to. Yeah, it's, it's not incom- incomprehensible, and I would certainly be a much quicker, and I could probably just do it right now. But just going through it the first time, it just seemed sort of like the other problems I have, or maybe the other problems we have. It seems like the game was designed with a certain idea in mind, and any time you try to work against that particular design model, you're going to have to fight it. And it just seems like, you know, just trying to make a random custom game of my chosen map, it, right. you know, just going to fight the design a little bit. 
Uh, I do want to, before we move on from the skirmish AI that McMaster was talking about, I, I want to say that I'm pretty unimpressed with it. I had high hopes for what, what this was going to offer as a single-player game. Uh, I primarily play RTSs either casually with friends or in skirmish mode, uh, especially when the campaigns are as awful as, as this one is. And McMaster, you hinted at that. We'll get to it in a second. Um, but I was really hoping for a more robust kind of front end for this idea of skirmishing against the AI. And McMaster, I'm exactly where you are. Like, I'm ping-ponging yeah. between hard and hardest. And you know what? If I wanted to do that, I could just host a game and set the setting myself. Uh, and instead, I'm yeah. watching a little gauge move up and down, and I really? Yeah. That's what I get. That's the skirmish mode, is is that little gauge right there that sometimes says hard, sometimes says hardest. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty unimpressed with it. And, and another thing that I was hoping would give some staying power to this skirmish against the AI mode uh, is their new experience point system. Because um, Age of Empires 3, with its unlockable cards, I think that's one of the finest single-player RTSs out there, not necessarily because of the AI, not necessarily because it's so great as a single-player you know, skirmish against the AI, but because of that experience point system and the rewards you get when you level up and the way the, the metagame with the cards works. So all that you have here with your experience points in StarCraft II, which has been added in with Heart of the Swarm, is unlockable uh, portraits for your little, I guess, profile, uh, decals, which get dropped around your command center or hatchery or whatever, and uh, dance animations, which Hell I yes. could not care less about. McMaster, you seem very excited about those. I could not care less about freaking unlocking freaking dance animations. Well, uh, the one, it does also unlock alternate skins. Okay, that one. I'm so angry, by the way. I'm so angry. I'm glad you brought that up, Rob. Go ahead. And then I'm going to be very angry in a moment. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, well... That is when I would agree with you. All this stuff seems like really filler, but the only thing that would possibly cause me to, to want to grind this out would be to essentially have alternate versions of, of little skins, although it would seem like it would take at least not a trivial amount of time for a casual player to unlock. And, and it's fairly limited. It's just like, say, an alternate of your basic Tier 1 unit, like, say, an alternate Marine or an alternate Zealot or an alternate um, basic resource. Uh, yeah, now I'm angry point. with you. Yep. Okay, I'm mad at you. You're, you're going to go through it. You want to unlock the skin. Okay, okay, Rob. We're not friends anymore. What? what, what, what? Hey, what? Oh. <laughs> so here's my, here's my thing with skins. I do not want freaking skins in my game. I don't want other people to have skins. I don't want to have skins. I want the, part of the, the part of what one of the things that StarCraft, one of the many things that StarCraft does very, very well, and don't get me wrong, you know, me saying that it's not that casual friendly is in no way a judgment on the game. I think it's a fantastic RTS, even if it's not necessarily the one that I always want to play. It's a fantastic RTS, and one of the reasons it's a fantastic RTS is how, at a glance, you can tell what a unit is. Even with the coloring, it's hard enough to say, okay, is that McMaster's Zergling or my Zergling? You know, but that's... It's a that's Zergling. One, it's a Zergling. I don't need to, you know, I don't want anything to look any different than it's going to look with the team colors. You know, the team colors fine. That has to be in there. But otherwise, quit messing around with how units look. Don't give Thor skins and Ultralisk skins. And for Pete's sake, certainly don't make any of the smaller units look any different. So I hate the fact that there are skins in there. Uh, and that's just my own little rant. You I'll get over it, Rob. If you really want to <laughs> unlock skins and play with them, I guess I'll let you. Well, yeah. I think that's that would, that's one of the few things that would, that would cause me to keep going. Yeah, sir. Forgive Tom. He missed Watner today. 
Oh, 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 oh. It's not <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would also agree with with uh, seems like both your sentiments at least so far. Is I'd say not too long ago I was utterly going to dismiss this expansion. I was in the of saying, hey, I see what they did. They just they made a game that's not for me. Uh, I you know I I bought the wrong game when I bought uh, Wings of Liberty, and that's it. I'm not interested in the franchise until the very. You're right at the cusp of release. I found out about this versus AI, and suddenly I got really interested. I'm like, oh, there's this matchmaking system, and it's going to set you against different AIs. It's going to put you against yada yada. And I guess in my mind, I was envisioning something like like Kohan custom AIs, where even at say hard AI, there's like a bazillion sorts of of personalities that it might have, where it has maybe certain types of troop preferences. And you know, that is in there, Rob. It, it might be worth. Uh booting up a game rather than letting the AI maker, the AI skirmisher do show it custom, for you. Yeah. yeah, if you do a custom game, in addition to the difficulty, there's, uh, I think it's like maybe six or seven different kind of like build priorities you can tell it to do. Um, well, yeah, but I guess I was envisioning something, or at least doesn't feel that way, as, as robust as I was imagining doesn't seem to be the case. It seems like Say, for example, if you played Kohan, and I can't remember the names anymore, but if, even if you were playing at a certain skill level, if you picked one Kohan or the other, you knew it. And you knew just because of which Kohan AI you picked how hard it was going to be, especially if it was a, a user-created one. Whereas in this, I feel like the only drive is just what overall setting it is, and the other stuff is is very, very subtle. And beyond that, it seems like there's pretty decent gateways between certain levels where you're just going to either bounce or sit at one tier and there's not much of an experience from one game to the other other than just banging your head at it kind of thing. Well, before you give up on it, take a look at those, because you, you might be hit pleased with what you find. Uh, maybe not. I mean, it, it definitely Kohan set the standard for that kind of thing, especially by letting players get in there and make AIs. But uh, you, you might you might enjoy the different options in, in StarCraft. Uh, give that a look. All right. Um, so, uh, all right, so, so here's another point for casuals. Uh, okay, so they've got a campaign. McMaster. What, you said something before about uh, what's your what's your deal with the campaign? There's a lot of production values in here. How can you not like it? Well, let me tell you. I, I don't know. I don't really like the StarCraft campaigns in general just because if I wanted to play... I don't know. if I, I play these games to play with different units. I don't play these games to slowly get crap doled out to me and then have to go through a bunch of stupid hoops every other mission. Like, oh, lava's coming in. Whee! You know, I, I don't know. I... I really Did just you play do the, the voice AI. work on that mission? Because that sounded yeah. exactly... <laughs> it totally sounded awesome. Can we hear that again? Larva's coming in. Whee! <laughs> See? He's the VO guy. So I, I, I'm sorry, I cut you off. You don't want to jump through stupid hoops. Go ahead. I'm sorry uh, I cut you off. Yeah, I just... I don't feel like... Uh, I feel like if I want to play a strategy game, I actually want to use the tools available to me, and I want to do it against... I also want to do it as whatever army I want, but that's a different story. Uh, and uh, I don't know, it just, it just doesn't do it for me. I, I would rather play against a... But McMaster, uh, Trisha Helfer. Oh, is she Kerrigan? Is she Kerrigan? Pretending you're not running the Trisha Helfer fan page. Come on, McMaster. Oh, right. Yeah, I know who Trisha Helper is. Yes, she she is Kerrigan, and she is awful. (laughs) Oh, my golly, is she bad. It's, like, funny. It's, like, listening to, like, um, who's Cortana? Oh, and and Shepard. Is it Jennifer Hale? What's that actress's name? 
Yeah, I can't remember. I know you're talking about that. Uh, but, you know, she's she's such a staple for, I mean, you, you know when you hear her, you know she's really good. She's associated with Commander Shepard, and I think she's Cortana. I could have that wrong. But uh, there, there are definitely voice actors who are so good at what they do. Uh, I've, I've even, my game of the week even has some great voice acting in it. And certainly the woman who did uh, Camilla Ludington, who did uh, Laura Croft. I mean, there are great voice actors out there. And then there are celebrities out there. And Blizzard clearly decided, hey, let's get us a celebrity. And Trisha Helfer is just so terrible as Kerrigan. I mean, it's so poorly written anyway. So I, I'm not sure what getting somebody who's actually good, what difference that would make. Um, but, oh, man, that stuff is so awful. Uh, Rob, if you fiddled with the campaign at all, being a casual player, maybe that's more your speed. Not Heart of the Swarm yet, because I don't, I don't really even know where the story ended up with Wings of Liberty. I have actually recently been chewing through the Wings of Liberty, and it, it is a bit of a chore um, yeah. because I just, you know, it's it really also seems like a throwback to the days of yore of RTSs where you have like two tools out of the toy chest, and the enemy doesn't even do anything other than sit there most of the time, or it, every now and then on a script just kind of walks towards you. I mean, there's certain of the missions I've played, some things do stand out. And the lava he was just referring to, I mean, it wasn't a great mission, but at least that was somewhat unique-ish, or the night day mission. Yeah, the, the yeah. missions with ebb and flow like that. Yeah, Or even the, um, the kind of weird almost Dota-like with the tower and creep type mechanic of the Spectre mission was kind of interesting for what it did. Uh, rather than being, say, just a straight-up command and conquer, you've got a command to go kill everything. That was kind of interesting trying to keep your creep wave up, so to speak. But all that being said, I feel like all I'm doing is I'm just kind of forcing myself to go through so I can see the cutscenes, and I'm not sure why I don't just you know jump to YouTube and just see them and be done with it. Um, so I would I would recommend Rob not even jumping to YouTube. I mean they're so awful. The, the writing is just so terrible on those things. Uh, even your cat agrees. Uh, <laughs> he does. He, he well he but he does like seeing those marine shoot things and so it seems like. But then it's only seemingly the first and last cutscene that matter. Well here's my here's my issue and that's, this is this is a problem that Blizzard has in all of their games. So they do these elaborate cutscenes that have absolutely nothing to do with the game you're about to experience. Blizzard is, they are so far removed from the way that video games are combining narrative and gameplay. It's it's just not even funny. It's, you know, for all the advanced game design they do, they are 20 years behind. You know, Rob, you mentioned the old traditional Command & Conquer RTSs and stuff. Blizzard isn't even up to that level where you're getting fun. I mean, I guess it is kind of that level. But but the the cutscenes... At least the Command and Conquer cutscenes were goofy and fun and stupid, and they knew they were stupid. The Blizzard cutscenes seem to have no idea that they're stupid. But but for the most part, it's you know you sit when you open the Heart of the Swarm campaign, you are treated to this huge, elaborate, epic, apocalyptic cutscene of thousands of Zerg overrunning a huge Gothic city, and then this vast battle cruiser that's the size of hundreds of skyscrapers comes crashing down majestically through the atmosphere and hits the city and and it's epic and enormous and then okay now go play a mission and and you've got uh, 10 mutalists you you know it's so far removed what you just showed me i want to play that 
you know, it, it's like, it, what a terrible way to make your game look rinky-dink, which it doesn't. You know, StarCraft Two is a good-looking game, but when oh, yeah. you compare it to that stuff, and then later on in the mission, there's like a cutscene where Kerrigan, she's all furious and angry, and she's got a combat scene, and she flips around, and she's doing all this crazy acrobatic stuff, and, and she's like, like slamming enemies around with this killer... Um, like telekinesis move, like a Jedi or something. She's doing all that crazy stuff. And then you're in the mission, and, you know, she's the little tiny unit that can sort of slowly walk around, and she's relatively frail, and you've maybe kitted her out with two or three powers. Uh, it just, you know, their, their cutscenes have absolutely nothing to do with the gameplay, and it's so jarring. And there's really, to my mind, there is no excuse to be doing that with video games these days. We, we're, we've grown out of that, for Pete's sake. A company the size of Blizzard that does this game design as good as they do, they, they need to get with the program. And it's incredibly frustrating to see just how awful the campaign is in, in Heart of the Swarm in terms of the mission design, in terms of the cutscene, in terms of the narrative. I don't know who's writing these goofy stories, but it's embarrassing. You know, it, it, they're boring and embarrassingly bad. And that's a, that's a terrible combination. Um, yeah, when I was watching that that cutscene, especially in the beginning, the beginning has the most impact for me because you're in that cockpit and it's shaking around, and you hear like the the combat chatter, you know, kind of muted in the background, and your little dangly things hanging up on the windshield, yep. and you're wondering. I mean, all this stuff, you're like, wow, look at all these details. This world's amazing. Yep. Not the, not the cutscene's amazing. The world is amazing and very interesting. And you and you and you're like, that's the you know, I'm I'm not going into this thing as a fight flight sim or anything, but. It just seems like, and then you go to actually play the game, and it seems like it's so archaic. It's just this old-school, flat thing where I feel like I'm just picking at pebbles until they reward me with my next non-game scene. Uh, it's just, it's just kind of, it feels like Blizzard does certain things really well, and I think growing just isn't one of them. Yeah, yeah. And even, well, it's a problem with Diablo as well. You know, there's this great cutscene in the middle of Diablo with this really cool battle between... I'm not going to remember anybody's name. Uh, I guess Diablo himself and is it Tyrael or it's when they're oh. at the gates of heaven, you know, or whatever. And then and there's this cool epic fight that they have, and it crumbles the gates down, and it looks awesome. And it's like nothing that you see in the game, you know. It's completely removed from the game. And it's the same with World of Warcraft. I haven't played that in forever, but I have been sitting in theaters and had to sit through the trailer for the panda thing. And there are these big elaborate panda bears flipping around and doing kung fu and talking all cool in these elaborate rendered cutscenes, And I know, I've played World of Warcraft. I know nothing like that is ever going to happen. Uh, and Whatever, just... dude. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is it really like that, Master? Damn, it I need totally to play It totally is now, yeah. Oh, I need to play it, don't I? Just remember, <laughs> when he does the flip, you got to watch in the bottom corner for the little like hourglass clock that's going by until he can do the next flip. So you watch it carefully. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. I see how it is. Uh, I have a question for you guys. So, you may not know this. Um, is are the events of StarCraft Two, you know, with uh, Jim Rayner and Kerrigan and all that, are they just pretending that StarCraft One never happened? Is it just a retelling of the stuff in StarCraft One? No, I don't um, believe so at all. So StarCraft One no, happened, so. and then StarCraft Two is just a continuation of it. Yes, because because Rayner, I can't remember why I remember this. I think it was part of the intro or something, or something I was reading when I was installing Wings of Liberty, so I'm really rusty, but it's something like, you know, this is a far-flung colony of humanity that's long since been cut off, and the main bad guy was, I can't remember his name, but the big 
got, bad guy was actually a good guy at the time, and Raynar was was aligned with them, and they were trying to stop some other empire, and then um, they managed to overthrow this empire, and but in doing so, that's when all hell broke loose, and really the guy kind of showed that he was willing to do anything for power, and then then that caused the schism, just so, of course, that means Terran can fight Terran during the campaign was the main point of it, I suppose. But- and And, you know, that just kind of rolled forward, and of course that's part of that is the fall of Kerrigan, and then I think it goes through some more story bits, and that kind of lands at the beginning of Wings of Liberty, which is, you know, Rainer's an outcast being hunted by whatever that emperor guy is. Minsk. Minsk, yeah. And, you know, he obviously has a bone to pick with him. And who? Boo. Boo. That's, that's I think he's mind, doing though. a Baldur's Gate reference. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, I skipped that one. Uh, go for the eyes, Rob. <laughs> oh, now I do remember that comment. Uh, what I remember mostly is, uh, what is it? Uh, you must gather your party before venturing forth. You must gather. You must gather. You must gather your party before venturing well, forth. <laughs> uh, Rob, you, you can't you can't leave without your buddy Superfly. Oh, can't leave man, that's so annoying. Try that in multiplayer. Oh, that killed me. Uh, so, uh, okay, so it, it is, it's not a reboot. I, I get, the thing is that the, I played through Wings of Liberty. I finished that campaign and I actually tried to watch all the cutscenes and I couldn't tell you a darn thing about who was what to whom. So when Heart of the Swarm starts up, there's no story so far stuff. Like people just come on and they're like, hey, and you know who I am. They don't even say you know who I am. They just start talking about things that you supposedly remember. Like, like Blizzard assumes people were paying attention and care. Uh, you know, at one point, some, that, do. Uh, some do. You're right, McMaster, and and they'll. I'm sure they'll be into it. But that uh, is it. Zara Tool. What's the name of the? I feel like oh, I, I, I even feel goofy yeah. just saying the word. Uh, what's the uh, the Protoss dude who is the prophet? Anyway, he just shows up with no reference to who he Shaka-Kula. is. Yeah, Shaka Kula. Right. Thank you, McMaster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but there's no story so far stuff. It's just like you know what? If you weren't paying attention to Wings of Liberty, you you don't deserve to know anything. Um, well, I think. See, I didn't know all that stuff because I didn't. I don't think I even played through Brood Wars or anything. But I, it's, it was buried somewhere. I want to say maybe in some leaflet that came with the game or something. But that being said, that's only because somebody went through and and retied the strings together and put it somewhere because it's not in the game as you're playing it per se. It's like playing Wings of Liberty, it's like, okay, if you want to tell the story of Wings of Liberty, you like watch the opening campaign, two, sto- two story scenes, and you ignore everything they say for like the next 12 hours of gameplay or whatever, and then listen to one story beat, and that's the actual story, because they're just constantly meandering on these random facts, and you don't remember anything. Oh, Jimmy Rayner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Save these colonists, and, you know, go get these pirate lanes, and... Go rescue some prisoners, and what the heck was going on with this lost Kerrigan person and hunting that? Oh, whatever. And then there's the, like, what? There's no questions about why this dude showed up that was supposedly dead or locked up in some ultra-security prison in some crazy, well-closed suit. It's like, ah, hell, just come on, join my secret organization. McMaster, he might betray you. I'm I'm just warning you, McMaster. You might be betrayed. In a Blizzard game, that could happen. You could get betrayed. I would, oh, I would that's, never betray old Jimmy Rayner. That's a whole nother problem. It seems like... I'm Jimmy Rayner. Yeah. It uh, doesn't matter what game you're talking about. Blizzard just has one storyline that they, like, tinker with a little bit. And that's kind of frustrating, because I feel like even your stories don't have stories. Uh, so, so World of Warcraft has a, has an ungodly amount of story. 
But you don't want to deal with that. That yeah, you pretty much have to ignore the game. I mean, who the heck's actually going to listen to a quest or actually find a book and read it? Uh, uh, so, are Kerrigan and Rainer are, are, are they are they dating? I think so. I don't know. Are they pinned? What do you call it? Is she his girlfriend? Uh, is there an engagement involved? What's what's their deal? Well, I mean, it depends on how you feel about the left to die thing. I mean, that's that's. <laughs> That really just kind of brings it brings it home. <laughs> All right, so uh, there's the single-player campaign. Now, as casual players, what I want to know from you guys, what race do you play and why? So, uh, Rob, why don't you start us out? What, what do you lean towards and why, why, do, you, why do you play them? What, what do you like about this race? I think I know the answer, by the way. Uh, well, see, you think I'm going to say Terran, but that's not really true. I don't really? lean towards Terran. Yeah. Really? I mean, yeah, the handful of games we played, and I kind of worried you were going to ask me that question because you thought I would, and it would create you know a nice you know uh, balance of different answers or whatnot. But that's not really the race I prefer. Uh-huh. So you know what, McMaster might pick Terran. We don't we don't know, Rob. There's well, no telling. <laughs> that's true. Maybe I'll is, pick Terran. You don't know. Maybe I'll pick Terran. It could be the answers I all the same. The only <laughs> and the only reason I jumped on Terran for the few games we played is because I was so far behind the curve and actually having ever played it, and when we were first talking about this, I was just tinkering with the campaign to see if I even was interested in the game anymore. So by playing the campaign, I was kind of, because I had to, I was re-familiarized with the Terran units, and I didn't want to be, you know, the you know, the guy holding everybody back. And also I feel, even from my memory, that Terran was pretty easy to just kind of pick up because their Tier 1 unit, the Marines, is so flexible you can't really go wrong and they don't seem as dependent on spells, so to speak, as the other races. That It just seemed like if I didn't want to be the, the guy screwing up the game, that's what I should probably pick for the, at least the first couple of games. Can I just say real quick Terrans before we are... hear more about your favorite race, another thing I hate about the campaigns, don't freaking give me a game with all these like fake units that I'm never going to see in the skirmish oh, yeah. or the multiplayer. That's another thing, is I'm playing the, the Heart of the Swarm, like I jumped into that, the campaign first, and I played through like, you know, two of the planets, and I'm like, oh, this must be one of the new, uh, Zerg units. It's this big abomination thing, and I was like, oh, okay, well, I get, and it's not in the freaking game, like they, and they did that with, uh, Wings of Liberty, of course. That's their whole campaign thing, is hey, we're gonna give you new fake units. Um, you know, they're, they're not balanced or useful in multiplayer or anything, but here, play with these things, and I couldn't care less about that stuff. Um. So, all right. So that said, Rob. So you played. You were playing Wings of Liberty, thinking, "Hey, I know all I need to know about Terrans." And you get in there, and you're like, "Where are my medics?" Right? Yeah, that struck me uh, like a, a brick wall when we went to first play the game. I was like, "Okay, I just need to make some Marines and some medics." And where the hell are my Marines? <laughs> and then I realized, oh yeah, that's right. In the real game, in the real game, in the real game. Air unit. <laughs> all right. So you don't go for Terrans normally. Who do you play, and why? Um, usually, if I if if there was some magic thing I could refer to, and maybe there is, uh, I would I would bet that my most commonly played race was uh, the Protoss. You know what, Rob? There is a magic thing. It's called Battlenet. Uh, well, I, I'm sure <laughs> it's in there. Up. But being the casual person that may or may not be saying anything that's relatively truthful, <laughs> yeah, it, but I, I don't know. But in any case, All right, so, was, so Protoss, what, what's what's up with that? I think Protoss is kind of a See, I guess there's a couple things to say about that. One, in general, the way I tend to to play games is I tend to kind of go towards, you know, you, you talk about the, the um, what is it, 
boom turtle rush or whatever. Mm-hmm. I tend to be somebody who kind of goes for the boom, not so much the turtle, and I kind of like how the protos generally tend to be the expensive but tougher units that you have less of. Um, so that kind of worked for me uh, mm-hmm. as far as the way it, the way it goes. Um, yeah. You want me to help you change your answer? Yeah. Play, against, play against Captain Tom Dicknuts over there when he's uh, everything you make, he makes the counter unit on it. Well, that's kind of the way StarCraft works, though. There's all these hard counters all over the place. It's not just StarCraft. Well, yeah, any, any good RTS. I mean, you, yeah. you see what the other guy's building, and you build the things that kill it, uh, right? That's, that's, that's true. But I also, so here's another take on, on, on my answer, I suppose, is I also just kind of like this kind of mystical alien high-tech race with shields and all that kind of stuff, and that appeals to me just kind of theme or visually or is interesting to me. And I think that's an important part of of the casual side. And I think that's one of the few things that a casual player has way over the serious player is when I'm approaching this game, it's it's like when I'm first playing a new card game or a new board game, and mostly what I see is theme and art, and I don't see it just for numbers and purpose yet. And while I'm still at the casual level, I just kind of enjoy the theme and the look and the sound of the Protoss. And even more so, I'd say part of the advantage of being casual is I could say, well, maybe Protoss is my chosen, but heck, I can play Zerg or Marine, and it's not really going to affect me much, so why not? Whereas if you watch a stream of some professional player, they play one race, one game after another after another for you know eternity. So... Uh, Rob, here's a here's a pro tip for you. The guy, he's not actually saying my life for hire. Oh, just so you know, that's not what he's saying. Pro, pro tip. Yeah. Okay. okay. Don't embarrass yourself at a party yeah. or anything. The Protoss okay. have some serious Lewis Gossett Jr. enemy mind shit going on too. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Something master, that's your pick too. Don't you lean? Don't you lean pro, Protoss as they say? Uh, yeah, but I'll talk about the Terrans just because Rob won't. No, we can talk about the Terrans, but I want to know what side you prefer and why. It's almost kind of a tie for me between the two, just because the Terrans are, well, they're overpowered, and it's hard to ignore that. Oh, really? Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, and, uh, well, I mean, they really are. I mean, that's why, like, recently, uh, or I guess for April Fool's last year, the Blizzard, you know, released, like, patch notes, and one of them was that it's still possible for Terran players to lose a game every now and then, so we patched <laughs> that out. Uh, so, yeah. But anyway... Well, uh, if I can interject, I thought it was interesting, because part of the whole launch, there was a bunch of, there, a lot of streaming, well, rerun, but streaming tournaments, that were played that were not too long ago, and I was watching those just to try to educate myself and not be a complete idiot when playing the game. And to be honest, it's because I can't grasp the mechanics. It's it sometimes is more enjoyable just to watch it with the commentators because they can tell me what I don't know about you know, what's countering what and who's doing what. But, but in any case, I found it interesting because in the early tiers of the tournament, it was just nonstop Protus and Zerg against each other or against themselves. And I was starting to wonder. It's like, wow, I guess nobody plays Terran. It's just, I guess they're just terrible or something. And then I went to the next day to watch the next set of brackets, and it was just Terran, 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 over and over again. I'm like, oh, never mind. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of stupid. I mean, uh, I think the Zerg have been altered a good bit, so they're a little bit more interesting now. But uh, the Terran were, in my opinion, at least for a large part of the game, were 
hands down the most powerful, and then the Zerg were kind of the worst. And hopefully that turned around with Heart of the Swarm. So, McMaster, why do you lean which way you lean, then? Oh, well, I really like the Protoss, I guess. And the reason I lean towards them is I also enjoy powerful troops. And I'll, I guess another big thing for me is uh, not having to dedicate a worker to build buildings. Ah, you just want him to drop off a little blueprint and then skedaddle and take care of other business. Right. There's also that Chrono Boost thing's pretty sweet. Hmm. Uh, do you guys use avail yourselves of the, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's the gateway's ability to warp units into a pylons area. Basically, it's sort of like an airdrop anywhere on the map, uh, but you have to convert your gateways to do that. Do, do you guys use that very much? I do not. Because I probably a, should. I think that officially keeps me fully in the casual tiers. I know it's there. I've tinkered with it, but it, it's, it's ah. not something I'm effective with, and it's something that... If I was continue playing, it's something that definitely needs to be in my wheelhouse soon. Well, it's definitely it's it's one of the unique selling points I think of of the Protoss is no one else can do that. Uh, is they can just you know zap units anywhere on the map. You know they they don't have to walk across the map, and you can do some great ambush stuff with that. Um, oh, you can pull some serious dick moves with it. There's no doubt that and the the mothership, you know. So I don't. What's going on with that mothership, McMaster? So it it cloaks things. Oh, yeah. uh, and I guess it's a it's a base buster, but uh, what is that any threat? Otherwise, you built a few of them in our games, and I never quite know what to do with it other than shoot it down. Like what what's going on with that mothership? Well, they actually added some new stuff in Heart of the Swarm. You you build it in stages now. Initially, you could just build the mothership out of your base, but uh, you build a mothership core now, and it's kind right. of like flying caster unit that can speed up time uh, in a certain area, etc. Does it slow down time? Because I've been trapped in that. It's a little bubble of slowed time, right? Yeah, or that might... It's either that or the... God, what are those things? The, uh... What are those things, Rob? The shoot beams out of the front? Not void rays. Stalkers? The Phoenix? Are you talking about the ground unit? The Stalkers? Yeah, is that what they... No, no, the little ball. They shoot like a continuous beam of... They can also make force shields and stuff like that. Oh, uh, 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 not Uh, oracles, that's a new thing. Uh, What do you call them? Sentinels. Sentinels. Sentinels, right, yeah. Uh, uh, That could be that as well, but yeah, uh, it it affects time, and they can teleport units around. They can also do this thing where if you're with a bunch of units, you can recall with them to your base. Oh, right, yes, yes. So it's stuff like that, and I'm trying to get better with it. uh, So, But it's one of those things where it's kind of hard for me to get better with it and and focus on building stuff at the same time. I don't know. I just suck at RTSs. And I've probably <laughs> played more StarCraft than both of you, and I just suck. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's an example, McMaster, of, of how much priority the game puts on micromanagement in a way that a lot of other RTSs have been backing off from. Um, oh, so, no, it's, yeah. it's easily the... It's what Blizzard does with everything. They kind of boil it down to its nuts and bolts. Uh, they're very, their games are very simplistic in, in concept and then very difficult when it comes down to actual, um, playing them. I mean, it's like all the rules are there. They're all transparent. It even tells you easily with tooltips, most of them, 
but just knowing what to do when and knowing the speed at which to do it is the real real test of StarCraft. Uh, so the uh, they they got the the mothership core, which is basically yeah. the runt version of the mothership. They yeah. got the Oracle, which is a new unit, and they have. I love the look of these things. I forget what they're called. Oh, uh, the starfighter things. Is it called a starfighter? That's the most boring. Or, I don't know. Uh, no, no, the I, crescent, the new crescent ship. Yeah, the crescent. I think it's called yeah. Tempest, the one that shoots the big Tempest. lightning ball. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty rad looking. Yeah. That is really cool. It kind of brings like artillery to the game. So it's so it's it's a long range like lightning gun airborne unit. Is that what's going on with that? Yeah, it's a big, slow-firing, very, very long-range uh, orb that has a pretty neat animation as it charges up and then launches. Uh, to and be honest, having played with them a little bit, I'm now not sure which which flyer, big flyer, I really enjoy using more, the, the carriers or the Tempest. Well, that's what I was going to ask, is how then does it differ from a carrier? Um, I think it's in the way they deliver their damage per time per target. So, I mean, with completely making numbers completely up, uh, say the Tempest drops 100 points on a single ball at the target it hits, whereas the carrier would, say, fire a billion shots of two damage at whatever target the particular fighter happened to be over. But they're both basically long-range, standoff, airborne units? Well, carriers are not standoff. Carriers are very limited. Their attack is based on how far their little ships can get away from them. So that's the big problem with a carrier is for it to be effective, it can be a little bit further back, but it has to be within fighting range. Um, but I think what I was saying with the Crescent or whatever, the Tempest, whatever the hell it's called, uh, is that it's a much longer range. It's like a siege. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then what's that Oracle thing? What is that What that guy? I don't, even, I don't think I've seen one of them yet. The, the other new uh, Protoss unit. That's the little ball thing, I believe. You know, or no, I haven't, I haven't used it because I'm like I said, I'm not, either, not good with the caster type units. Yeah, All right. I just like caution. Uh, okay, what's new for the? Uh, since nobody's going to uh, exhibit some Terran love, uh, let's talk briefly about the two new Terran units. There's a uh, little crawly robot that shoots missiles. A widow yeah, or something. Widow, 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 yeah, the Widow Mine. Yeah, and uh, what else was there? There's the, uh, there's there's the fire pass. I think for the. No. Flamethrower. It's the Marauder with a flamethrower. Yeah, I think. Oh, right, it, yeah. Does it transform the bike into the robot and has the flame, or is it just it always a robot? I don't know. It looks. No, like I think it's. I, I'm pretty sure it's just always. It's basically a Marauder with a flamethrower. I've, I've only gone oh, up against yeah. it. I haven't. The new units, it. right? Yeah, you're talking about. Yeah, the dune buggy with a flamethrower. Yeah, I think that's a new one. Yeah. There's but a dune buggy with a flamethrower. Or yeah, I think yeah. that's something else. Yeah, that's oh. that's the the regular one that has the flamethrower, but the one, the new one looks like that, but if it transformed into a robot. So I'm not sure if they're a transition form or if they're on their own unit. Right now, this is the point that somebody is screaming at their podcast device. <laughs> well, okay. well, I was expecting you guys could uh, could brief me I on those reasons. Yes, I can tell you about there. Hang on a second. That's okay. Uh, well, so yeah, we we don't know enough about the Terran and the new Protoss stuff, but I can definitely hold forth about the new Zerg stuff. Yeah, I tend to stay in my uh, my comfort zone, so I haven't, I haven't really played with those. No, as do I. I don't I don't know that much about the Terrans or the Protoss, but I know I'm a Zerg guy. Uh, so I want to explain why I like the Zerg briefly. Uh, McMaster, you saw firsthand today, I mean, we've played many matches where I've been the Zerg, but you saw firsthand today, the, the game we played earlier, why I like the Zerg. I just love how obviously and uniquely demoralizing it must be to have your base overrun by little tiny 
basically like worms slash beetles slash roach things. Like I love just the, the absolute chaos of a bunch of super upgraded zerglings swarming around attacking a base. You know, roaches are fine, mutalisks are fine too, but there's nothing quite so gratifying, gratifying as just watching those little guys everywhere and knowing the other player is just throwing up his hands going, well, there's no way I could stave off that many units. Uh, I just love that about the Zerg. Um, I also, it occurred to me while I was thinking about, well, why do I, why do I like this race? Um, as a guy who traditionally will play support classes in, in games, like in MMOs and whatnot, you know, I like being a healer, I like stuff that does buffs and debuffs, um, there's something different about the way the Zerg uh, play, the way they they play at a, at a macro level with their economy. And I really like the sense of having to nurture a base by, by setting up queens, um, occasionally planting the larvae, uh, sort of watching your larva supply and making sure you have enough. Uh, I love the, the way you have to spread creep using the little creep tumors. Um, it just it has this very almost it's a like, very cool mechanic. The whole Zerg thing is very cool. So alien to the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. I, I agree. I really I like the creep element and the mechanic. It's just when it comes down to the so thing, awesome. it hurts. The thing that what doesn't work for me is the just so many throwaway troops that that I don't know like works against my OCD of trying to preserve. Well, they this. shouldn't be throwaway. I mean, the, the Zerg no. can be frail, but they're fast enough. They, you know, they're they're also great for this sort of hit and fade attacks, especially the little Zerglings, certainly Mutalisks. Um, and and that's the cool thing about creep too is you're faster when you're on the creep. So there's this sense of converting territory to yours, of claiming it, saying this is my part of the map. I have an advantage if we fight here. Uh, by the way, I also love about creep that you have radar awareness of it. You know, you can see anything that's on creep. Uh, I love that about that uh, about the creep. That's one of the cool things about the, the Zerg is how they get radar coverage from that. Um, yeah. You know, and, and just generally, I love territory-based buffs like that. There's a Brutal Legend just came out for the PC, and one of the races has a has a, a unit called a Bride. And the Bride, she uh, she has an umbrella, and she makes a storm around yeah, her. Yeah, she's awesome. And yeah, and so everybody, all the enemy units in the storm fight more slowly. You know, uh, Battle for Middle Earth Two had these cool ring powers where you could grow. Uh, uh, like friendly territory, like this kind of elven meadow effect, and your guys fight better on that. Or if you're evil, you make this corrupted land effect. So I love that kind of thing, this sort of uh, I am converting the territory to, to be friendly for me, and you know that you're at a disadvantage when we're fighting in it. Um, so I, I love that about the Zerg. Um, now, the two new Zerg units, I, in a way, couldn't care less about because they're so completely support-oriented in terms of you have to fiddle with them and micromanage like crazy. And, and I've tried to mess with them, uh, not so much in multiplayer, but just against the AI, and I'm just not under appreciating the value of them for my level of play. At a high level of play, I can imagine they're very useful. I'm actually curious to see some competitive matches to see how they're used. But basically, the Zerg get a deployable artillery unit, for all intents and purposes. It's a thing called a swarm host, and for it to do anything, it normally walks around and will do absolutely nothing. It will get killed. It has no attack. So to use it, you have to burrow it, in which case it'll start spitting out these little units called locusts. So it's kind of like a, you know, they're the 
I think, Broodmasters that fly in their artillery units. This is a lower-tier version of that, kind of, except it doesn't fly. Um, so you have to, like, walk it up somewhere, you have to bury it, and then you have to have it send out its locusts. But the thing is, unlike most burrowing, it can still be attacked when it's burrowed, because it's basically just halfway in the ground. So the Zerg get that, and they also get something called a Viper, which, again, you build it, you put it in there with your army, it does nothing. It can't attack. It's more than happy to get killed. Um, but the only thing it does is it lets you use these very meticulous uh, micro-y powers. You know, you can suck health out of a building. You can uh, drop a cloud on ranged units where they lose their ranged attacks and have to walk up and fight. Um, or you can do something that I will probably never, ever do in... You know, I could play a hundred more games of StarCraft, and we'll probably never do this. You can use it to pull a unit out of a group into somewhere else. And I'm yeah. sure that people who are good would have a grand old time, like, you know, pulling a Thor into, I don't know, a bunch of Zerglings or whatever. I did, That's not the level I play at. I, I, I don't know. I could do it. I don't know that I would be able to do it well enough to make it make any difference. Um, so Heart of the Swarm adds two new units to my race that I probably won't use. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen some of use of the Viper, and I haven't used it myself, but it's the, the suite of powers it has looks ridiculous for helping out the Zerg and doing what they do. Um, so I, I think... Yeah, I think it's it's probably a barrier that I too probably could never cross. But I think if you if you're somebody who can cross that, that unit is 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 a game changer from right. being able to pull the heavy units into the zerg and just chew them up, or to being able to completely negate range as you close in. It just seems it's just a huge game changer. Some of the, the matches I saw, it was just you know just one or two of those completely flipped the match. Maybe I need to practice with it more. McMaster, I'm going to build nothing but Vipers. You ready? <laughs> I wouldn't do that because yeah. you're pulling them into something. <laughs> no, I do want to, uh, to be honest with you, uh, I think uh, I think the Protoss got the best units this uh, expansion so far that I've seen. I mean, they certainly got the best looking one. I do like those Crescent Fighter Tempesty things. The, the Oracle's pretty awesome. I just haven't had a chance to fiddle with it yet, but you'll love what it does, Tom. I, I'll just wait and show you. I think I, I I did read up on like I think I remember seeing at one point what it does and not. All right, you know what, Master, bring it. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, we played some uh, co-op against the AI. We've done some of that. We did our one v one v one game, and I I got lucky enough to stay out of the fighting long enough where you guys both lost. Um, and we've done some one v one. Do you guys plan on pushing through with the campaign some more? All right. Yeah. Uh, I'm close enough that I'll probably play through the, the the last bit of the Wings of Liberty campaign and then probably set the campaign aside, tinker around with the AI, and, and to be honest, that's probably when I'll, I'll put it on the shelf for a while, if not indefinitely. Uh, Rob, uh, Trisha Helfer. Yeah, sorry. I, yeah, sci-fi or sci-fi celebrities just don't really matter at all to me. <laughs> you know what? Okay, what if, what, if, what if it was Jerry Ryan? I... It wouldn't matter. I'd really, it, it, that's see, that's a sticking point that I think I would argue. I think uh, game companies or publishers—I'm not sure who drives this—but I think they misunderstand the market something fierce, where they think 
the name matters more than, or who it is, the celebrity, so to speak, of it, matters so much more, as you were saying before, than the actual quality of the, the voice acting and delivery. Not saying anything positive or negative about Heart of the Swarm, I haven't experienced it, but in general it seems like that is a mistake games make, where they go for a well-known, famous person where it, the delivery just isn't there, and then going, oh yeah, I remember so-and-so, and then that even screws it up, because that becomes your narrative, because you remember the character that that person was. Right. Uh, the reason they, they, they do it, Rob, I think, uh, is uh, to build buzz. Like, Trisha Helfer was not cast, I don't think, because she's an awesome voice actor. She was cast because when they then announce that she is cast, uh, people on blogs and whatnot will, will mention it, and that's just that much more little bit of mind share that, that StarCraft II gets. That's, that's my theory, at least. Um, so, it worked. We bought, we bought, you know, we're playing the game. So. That has nothing to do with it, though. In fact, I would have passed on this unless until I heard about the versus AI. That was that was the hook that got me. Rob, Rather, come on, Keaton. Trisha, Trisha Helfer, come on. Sorry, not working. She was she in. Was in once. Uh, she, what, McMaster? Yeah. That's not true. Yep. She's a, she's a serious actress. She was in one of the Command and Conquer games, I think, wasn't she? And actually, am I mistaken? No, she didn't. She play like. Is it Tanya, who's like the super commando? Didn't she play Tanya in one of the Command and Conquer games? Help me out here, McMaster. Wasn't there like 12 different Tanyas? <laughs> she, yeah, it's like Bond girls. Or, or no, not like Bond girls, because they're the same character. It's like James Bond. <laughs> they get different actresses <laughs> yeah. to play. Uh, uh, James Bond? Yeah, to play James Bond. So there's different actresses who play Tanya. You know, eventually, I'm sure we'll have uh, Emma Stone taking a turn. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence. You know, maybe one day Meryl Streep can play Tanya. What do you think of that, McMaster? <laughs> maybe one day. <laughs> uh, all right, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to get into, into our uh, news of the week and games of the week. But first, this message from our sponsor. This week's Quarter 3 podcast is brought to you by Crazy Jumpman. That's Crazy Jumpman. Crazy Jumpman jumps up and down. He jumps over the evil ooper-duper robots. He jumps to collect coins and extra lives. He jumps to reach new levels such as Cloud Town, the Boggy Bog, Dry Fire Desert, and the Lava Caves. He jumps for his life, and sometimes he jumps to his death. Die three times, and he has to start the level all over. Oh no, Crazy Jumpman. Crazy Jumpman, exclusively on the PC for $12.99 American from CrazyJumpman.com. Crazy Jumpman, he's crazy. And we are back to bring you some news of the week. Master, why don't you start us out? What is an example of something newsworthy that happened this week? Um, well, this week, the uh, Bethesda released news that their store has opened. Now, of course, that can mean whatever to you. However, they have a whole Fallout section of stuff you can buy, including shoes that have Vault 101 on them that kind of look like some awesome Pumas. Uh, there's also coffee cups with a bobblehead boy and uh, Vault Tech backpacks and all sorts of awesome stuff. I and uh, McMaster, what have you ordered from the Bethesda store for yourself? I'm eyeballing the hell out of the Vault 101 hoodie and maybe even some of the sweet kicks. Uh can I get anything that uh, is branded with, uh, you know what, I was going to try to make a joke about that pirate game they did that nobody remembers, but I can't remember it. Did they go. Like a pirate game, Red Guard Red, or something? Yeah, Red Guard, I think. Yeah. yeah. 
No, let's see. They have Dishonored, Elder Scrolls, Elder Scrolls Online, Fallout, Doom, Quake, and uh, Wolfenstein. What about Rage? Uh, no, it looks like there's no uh, Rage brand uh, apparel. How quickly they forget. Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah, I know. It's rage. really hurtful. <laughs> However, there's some totally sweet uh, Skyrim stuff I'm going to get you for Christmas on here. Uh, I will take. I will take Sky. I might even. I might even play the game again, McMaster. What do you think of that? Oh, oh. Mm-hmm. actually, how can you do any Skyrim? Like Skyrim is so big and vast and doesn't have any. Like the bobbleheaded guy in Vault One Hundred One. There are these iconic things for Fallout, but what's the equivalent of that in 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 Skyrim? Like the the white run city gates on a T-shirt or something. I I just can't think of a single iconic thing from Skyrim because it's so vast. There's a hoodie that looks like Alduin's wall. Who is Alduin? I don't even know who that is. It's, you know, it's that big carving with all the dragons and crap on it that they show. See, I would just say, I wouldn't know, if I were to look at that, I wouldn't know if it was like Skyrim or some tarot card thing or some How to Train Your Dragon cartoon. Well, there's it's a couple a of cool things. Like, there's the Bannered Mayor t-shirt, like the bar in uh, the one main town there that you go to, Bannered Mayor. Mm-hmm. And uh, okay. then there's the Blackbriar... Uh, like mead reserve thing which is pretty cool if you've played those games you would know what those are unless you're tom who just <laughs> got in a I'll... wagon and rode to the mage college and sat there <laughs> studying for like 15 years i basically yep i got my major i basically spent the entirety of my time in skyrim in skyrim in that little tiny corner in the upper right hand portion of the map where it's always snowy and there's one town and yeah you know what if you were to show me the bridge you have to walk across to get to the mage college that i would recognize yeah Yeah, it's just a picture of that (laughs) so tell me i mean the things that they have to have in that store though is like a picture of the hero traditionally in the viking helmet doing the phosphoroda thing or they've got to have some play on taking an arrow to the knee or something right well, let's see. What else they have is they have the iconic dude with the two weapons and the Viking helmet uh, from the commercials. And then they have a storm cloaks, uh, something, some some other we know. Something says we know with a handprint on it. Oh, that's got to be the Thieves Guild guys in that rat town. Uh, what do you call that town in the lower right corner of the map? And then there's uh, the Winking Skeever. As well. Whoa, 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 McMaster, this is a family podcast. <laughs> you, you want to see my <laughs> Winkin' Skeever? Uh, no, uh, now, what is it? Uh, what's the name of that town with the Thieves Guild? Uh, uh, Mark Tail? It's not Mark. Uh, it's not Markoth. That's uh, on the other side of the map. Um, Anduin? Rivendell? Not Rivendell. I like Rivendell. <laughs> it's Tatooine. Wait, we're a bunch of dilettantes. Riverton. Yeah. Riverton. 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 Rifton. Rifton. Rift, oh, Rifton might be right. Yeah. yeah. How many people do you think are yelling at the podcast now, McMaster? Uh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> all of them, wow. All right, so uh, get some Skyrim, or just generally some Bethesda paraphernalia, as long as you're not looking for Rage-branded stuff. Uh, the new Bethesda store is, is your deal. Uh, yeah, they got Dishonored stuff. They got several Dishonored things for the kids, you know, to shake good. their booties, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob, what do you have for news of the week? Well, if you'll permit me to flip the script a little bit, I will tell you what is not the news of the week, Mm -hmm. which is somewhat news-oriented in itself. And with the imminent release of uh, Monster Hunter Tri-U coming out here 
very soon, and I would argue a pretty big deal for Nintendo, uh, something that was released as a package in Japan with the little accessory that gives you a second thumbstick um, to let you have essentially a dual-stick controller for something that arguably is a lot easier with dual sticks. Uh, there is no announcement still of a release for the Circle Pad Pro for the United States if you have an XL 3DS, which seems strange because it was so important that they had it in original, the non-XL version, in the original release in Japan. They announced that they're releasing it in Europe at release, but still, apparently, they just are not interested in helping out their uh, American audience to grow. So I'm a little confused. So basically what you're saying, you can get for a Nintendo DS Monster Hunter 3 Tri-G Ultima U Pro, right? <laughs> not yet, but very, very, very soon. <laughs> right, so that'll be out. And uh, it benefits from a, a dual-stick attachment, and you can get dual-stick attachments for most Nintendo 3DSs? So or- there's an ex- there's an accessory. that It's basically this contraption you can slap onto the right-hand side that gives you a thumb, an extra thumbstick for the right-hand side, which right. anyone who's played most games that have a perspective you're navigating, you want you know one to be your movement, the other to be the camera control. Well, if you uh, lack... I will right say, like, uh, Resident Evil Revelations, which I it's, greatly enjoyed, was, I seem to recall, it supported that, and I, I came this close. The only reason I actually didn't go down to a GameStop to buy it is because I was, I was literally, like, sick. I was sick as a dog when I played through <laughs> that game and couldn't drag myself out of bed. But... I remember thinking, this supports this, I really want one of these. So that's what you're talking about, right? Exactly. And that's the other game that people really mention when they talk about the, the Circle uh, Pad Pro. is Because mm-hmm. is the, the same thing. You're trying to maneuver a camera like you would in other games, and you're trying to do one is the movement, the other is your, uh, your, your camera position, whereas they kind of give this kind of, in the, the Resident Evil game, they give you this kind of quasi-lock-on that just kind of flips your camera in the direction, but that's not terribly... I don't know. For me, it didn't work very well. They do a similar thing, at least from the demo of the Monster Hunter Try U, um, where you kind of have something that flips the camera around. But you know, it's something that's so in, it really relies on you targeting, you know, the head or the tail or the feet or you know that sort of thing. It, it really seems to demand or really call for having that that right hand stick. Right. I just can't believe they have not announced it. Well, now here's my confusion because. You know, I've got my 3DS here. I can now go, now that I'm, I don't have this flu or whatever, I can now go to GameStop and I can buy this thing for when I'm playing Monster Hunter Pro G on the DS, right? What, what, I don't understand what... For the 3DS. Right, right, yeah, right. But the argument being is, which they have, do have that one, but they don't have the one for the XL. So if you oh, have the XL 3DS, you do not have the accessory for it, whereas you would if you're seemingly not in the United States. Okay. Why... What that is there? Just, yeah, that seems odd to me. Why would they not have it for? And maybe that's your point. <laughs> why, exactly. why would they not have it for? Okay, I see. I've been wondering, like, where is the announcement for this thing? Why would they do this to their audience on the cusp of a big release? I mean, it, you know what, Rob? Nintendo has so many different types of hardware to keep track of, and there's so many different like colors of DS and sizes, and and there's a c- couple of different Wii's even. Uh, they oh, yeah. I, they probably just forgot. Well, granted, there is a crazy number of choices, but this one seems like, I mean, it is, it seems like the peanut butter and chocolate. It just, it's meant to go together. These two, this accessory plus this game. I just, so much well, so that it was literally a bundle. <laughs> is it least. Nintendo or is it Capcom? Because both the games you mentioned are Capcom games. Yeah. Oh. It could be a Capcom thing, but I don't know. I, I would imagine Nintendo would be in charge of the accessories. 
Well, you know what? If Nintendo isn't really selling any games that support this, they probably couldn't care less. Because another thing I thought of, Rob, was uh, Kid Icarus, where they they shipped with it a little stand, basically, because there's (laughs) the the way Kid Icarus works is there's nothing. Basically, your your Nintendo 3DS has to float in midair for Kid Icarus's interface to really work well. So they shipped it with this crazy little plastic stand that you will never use for anything else. because it's a Nintendo first-party game, uh, I just wonder if, because of Resident Evil and uh, Monster Hunter being Capcom games, maybe Nintendo just isn't that concerned. What I, what well, I think about it was, could you even buy it without the game? The, the little stand for, for Kid Icarus? No, 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 for the, the, the thumbstick. Oh, yes. Oh. Yeah, you can buy them individually. Um, but and, and I've kind of wondered about that. Maybe they don't care, but there seems to be so much doom and gloom surrounding the Wii U, and I would argue, potentially, this is one of the the real first chances at there being significant dent in the core audience that cares about the Wii U, is the release of Monster Hunter. Monster Hunter, try you. Yeah, I think... Wait, wait, oh, what what country are you talking about? (laughs) Maybe I'm misunderstanding. Uh, I know it's huge in Japan, but do you really, I mean, you think it's a big deal in the U.S.? I actually don't know. Well, I don't know how much it is a big deal in the U.S., but I think that's it's the I think it's a good chance to draw some attention to the Wii U that it seems like the Wii U desperately needs, and by extension, it has the game has so many neat features that seem to bounce back and forth between the 3DS and the Wii U. I mean, somebody like myself, I'm deeply tempted and probably will get a version of the game on both systems Wait because a of the way they interact. Wait a minute. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. You're saying they interact? Yeah. If I have Monster Hunter Pro GL X3Y on the Nintendo <laughs> DS and on the Nintendo Wii U, what's going on? They talk to each other? What kind of interaction? I well, need you to tell me this right now because I might also be playing them both. What's going on there? <laughs> well, you're not going to be doing it with it. Well, you actually, you might. If you don't have the XL, you'd, you'd get your Circle Pad Pro. But in any case, so yeah, it does a couple things. One, it basically can create a LAN party out of your game. So... One person is playing on the Wii U, and then other people who are in the room walk up with their 3DSs, and they play in the same game. Holy cats. So in my scenario, I'm very encouraged about the idea of sitting there plugging in on the the Wii U, playing it in my HD with my character and whatever, and then uh, Patty was going to go... Maybe she's sitting right next to me on the couch, and she wants to jump in, jump in for a hunt with the 3DS, and boom, we're right there. And that seems Master, like- did you know about this? Oh, uh, yeah. Why wasn't I alerted? <laughs> well, so can you, is there, here's another one. Okay, Rob, this would actually seal the deal for me. Can I in any way, like, play a character on the Wii U and then also advance that same character on the DS? And that is also a big hook for me because oh. being somebody who works, I might be at home playing it on a big old television with people late at night or whatever, but darn it, I've got to go to work the next day. Transfer the character over to the 3DS, pop it in my backpack, it's lunchtime. Let's go kill something while I'm at lunch. Okay, wait. Is this true, or this is just you? Is this a dream you had, a fantasy of yours? As far as the, the features I just listed, both of those, I think, are 100%. That's it. They're done. There's no question about it. They're part of the game. McMaster, how come this wasn't your news of the week for, like, the last month and a half? Because <laughs> I, I don't care. <laughs> and, and then, to, to kick it home a little bit more, now, this is more of a rumor, but seems like a very strong rumor if you're reading different patch notes. It seems like also it's going to give you the version of tunneling through the three the the Wii U. So if you wanted to have off-screen play, it seems like there's well at first there was only one announced way to do it, which is you have a Wii U connected to the internet with their LAN adapter, 
you send the game, you can't use the Wii U at the same time, but you send the game to your 3DS, and bam, you can now use your TV for something else. Say my girlfriend wants to watch a television show, I now pipe it through to my 3DS, and I can play it off-screen. Uh, that being said, they've also made an announcement recently that there's potentially some changes to the software to also allow off-screen through the gamepad, but that seems like that's the rumor for that isn't quite as, as solid yet. Um, I will say that it is possible... They do, uh, the Japanese and UK ones, I believe, do work with a 3DS XL that you want to import them. Yeah, that's, that's the crux of it is I could, if I want to, to go to one of the different stores to import the Japanese version and I push comes a shove, I might be doing it here in another couple of days, um, because of all these things I mentioned, plus the idea that if I have it, you know, there's just so much flexibility when you can do these things. But it seems silly that I would have to do this, since these features, I would think, would be driving not only the um, the profile of the Monster Hunter franchise, which, as Tom said, is, is huge in Japan, but has lukewarm, but I'd argue growing since the Wii release, but still, it's never been on a, a main console. A growing platform that if they wanted to push, this, this Circle Pad Pro would go a long way, since there's so many things that's going to tie the two platforms together. And I will say, Rob, I think one of the reasons that Monster Hunter is kind of a niche thing in the, in the U.S. Uh, is Capcom has traditionally gimped it in some way or another when they release it here, whether it's the multiplayer stuff or, uh, or I, I mean, I sort of feel like we've always gotten sort of hand-me-downs, like scraps of what Monster Hunter really is in Japan. Um, and this is the its first opportunity to really be a fully realized, crazy online no holds barred monster hunter. You know, when it was on the Wii, it's this distilled down low res version when people are playing next gen consoles. And I feel like finally putting it on the Wii U, giving it full online support, this fancy stuff you're telling me about the DS interconnectivity, uh, this seems like, you know, this is really the first chance for Monster Hunter to really be everything it, sh- it can be. Exactly. Uh, a, a common friend of ours, uh, Matt, Mary Prankster, he. He has been wanting like the full fledged, and he would. He, we've had this conversation so many times about how it seems like Capcom is almost purposely gimping and killing the chance for this platform, this franchise, to grow in the United States by doing these kinds of things. You know, they'll, they'll release something to some platform that has really no functional internet support. The Wii, that's also low res, that also at the time it comes out has like half of the, the monsters that the, the current versions in Japan have, and it just seems like it's just thrown to the wolves to die. And this seems like the first real breaking point of all these things you're talking about. You know, the, the Internet structure that's potentially, I mean, still it's not probably Xbox slash PlayStation, but it's much better than it was in the Wii. You've got dual stick support right out of the box with, with the gamepad or, or the other um, uh, controllers that go with it. It's high resolution. It, it, you won't have to do all these crazy things with, with other systems in order to have voice chat with your fellow players. It, it seems like this is the the best chance for this franchise to grow. And, and then I watched this other move with, with essentially handicapping it off of this cross-device play, and it just seems like, where is the where is the news release for this? Why aren't they saying, by the way, also released on you know, next Tuesday, CirclePad Pro XL in the United States? I just can't believe it. There's yeah, no Rob, maybe you need to not have an, your little fancy XL dealy bob. Just get a regular Nintendo 3DS like the rest of us. Yeah, I had one. And <laughs> I, it didn't get much play. Um I just I, I like the 3D. The 3D I think is easier on the eyes than the larger one, and also the larger one I just 
I like the larger picture. I, yeah. I don't. No, it, it's I, I agree. I mean, I, I have to. I, I hate seeing the XL 3DSs because they look so yeah. good and they're so big, and I just I don't don't show me that. I don't want to see it because it makes me unhappy with my 3DS. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, you've completely upstaged my news of the week, Rob, because now I couldn't care right. less about about Payday Two. Oh, oh mean, come that, on! You no, love okay, that not, game. Not that I couldn't care less, but just that I'm now thinking, wow, I my my. You know, I can play monster, my same Monster Hunter build on a portable system and on my Wii U. Uh, okay, so here you go. Let me let me muster some enthusiasm. Actually, when I think about it, it's, I get some natural enthusiasm from this. So uh, the folks that I think they're called Overkill, uh, and I believe they're Swedes. Great gaming things come out of Scandinavia, by the way. Uh, Overkill has announced uh, Payday 2. Or is it the heist? Yeah, Payday colon the heist 2 or Payday 2. I don't know. Anyway, the sequel to Payday the heist, which is basically left for dead, but with a heist instead of a zombie apocalypse. Um, Payday 2 will have uh, a new leveling system, which you can definitely use. Uh, the leveling system in the first Payday is a little bit uh, laborious and slow, and it, it, it's very stingy with the rewards. Um I enjoyed it over the long run, but I could see how they could make it uh, more compelling. They, they could, they could reward, you more, reward you more often. Uh, that seems to be part of what they're doing with Payday 2. Uh, there's a new mission system, which presumably is going to make the missions a little more dynamic, which is great because the fact that they are dynamic already is a great touch. You know, I love how you can play a mission a few times, and it'll unfold a few different ways. Now, once you've played a mission 10, 12 times, you've pretty much seen all it's going to do, but each time you play, you're not exactly sure what's going to happen that, that playthrough. So it seems like they're pushing that with their new mission system. Um, I also fervently hope, uh, if anyone, if any of you Swedes at Overkill are listening, please take this to heart. Make don't make it so hard. <laughs> there are so many missions <laughs> in the first payday that I have never oh, seen yeah. the entirety of. Uh, you know, I, I I love their missions. Uh, I love that you can make them easy or hard. But some of the later missions seem to be reserved for people who have got high-level characters who are really good. Um, and not only am I not really good, I play payday with a, a bunch of my friends who are even worse than me. And McMaster, that's not a ding against you. It, it includes oh. you, but it's not only against you, McMaster. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. You know, yeah, Viser I don't do and too I, well at that one. You know, I'll just get Viser. I'll make him play. We do have our friend Josh Viser. He is uh, something of a. He's if he were a child, he would be a child prodigy at uh, Payday and <laughs> Left, Left for, for Dead. Oh my God! So he's basically an adult prodigy. I don't know if that's an actual thing, but he's one of those. Just a prodigy. Yeah. So uh, I, I I would hope that for Payday 2, they will let me play all the missions. You know, they will let me have some way to see all of the content. Because there's stuff in Payday 1 that I have yet to see. Uh, and not for lack of playing. Um, so uh, Payday 2 will be out this summer. And it will be as Payday 1 on the PC, on the PS3, and for the first time on the Xbox 360. Oh. Uh-oh. Does that mean you're going 360 because of the achievements? I think so, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. don't do yeah, it. that's in. Well, yeah. No, don't do it. What? Well, I don't have a PS3. What do, what? Well, stay on, uh, see, if you stay on the PC platform, then, then that would be much more convenient. Tell you what, Overkill, if you're listening, if you let some of my experience carry over from my Payday 1, I'll stick with the, piece, with the PC. Uh, that's my about, deal. How about this? Any publishers listening, if you ever let... 
cross-platform purchases exist, I will be so happy. Yes. Um, let me buy your game once, or even 1.5 times. Let me enjoy it on all my devices. Yes. Well, you know, actually, i got to say, though, Rob, thinking of... Uh, Thinking of how horribly Left for Dead plays on the 360, I don't think I would want to touch that on the 360. And it occurs to me, yeah. Payday's a bit of the same, as a matter yeah. of fact. So come to think of it, I'm not sure I'd want to play Payday unless I'm using a mouse and keyboard. Steam's got achievements, baby. That's all I'm saying. All right. You, call you, sold me. you sold me, McMaster. Oh, I'm in thank it for God. This <laughs> um, oh, I would like to go ahead and... Uh, add something for for Rob's bit too. Uh, it turns out that if you go to Amazon.com and you look up the new Monster Hunter, uh, if you're one of those rare individuals that has a Wii U and a 3DS, uh, like Tom, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, if you buy them together, you get twenty dollars off immediately. Yeah, that's actually a good point. There are a few different things that seem to be ending up in the same pool. I know for a while there there was a buy one get one half off. At- Best Buy, I'm not sure if it still exists, and obviously people were doing a similar thing. There's a rumor that during launch week, Target will have a buy two, get one free. So there's kind of ways to do it, but it seems like the Amazon's pretty popular, because if you know, hey, I just want one of each, save yourself change, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, yeah. And while you're listening to this podcast, just pop on over to our little Amazon.com search box and put yourself down for the uh, Monster Hunter 3 Pro GZ XL version for your Wii U and your DS uh, in support quarter to three. Yes. Fair point. There we go. Uh, all right, so let's get down to some games of the week briefly, gentlemen. Uh, McMaster, your game of the week is obviously, I presume, World of Warcraft, uh, the Basins of Ariathi instance. No? Yes? Am I close? <laughs> the basin. Uh, yes, it's just, uh, you just kind of like combined a whole bunch of things together. Uh I was just like you saying sports words, but um, it's like calling in artillery, McMaster. You just go into a general area, and then the spotters will focus it for you. Fire for effect. Who are your spot? I don't want to know. Uh, you, McMaster, you're my spotter. I just need you to look look through the binoculars. Tell me if I need to move left or right, forward or backward, McMaster. That's all you have to do in this scenario. No, no, no. McMaster has to be the guy with the radio who's calling it in, but he can't quite get it right. The person's next to him giving him the commands, and then there's explosion, and you look over, and there's nothing but a burnt-out radio. Right? Oh, McMaster, we hardly knew ye. Oh, (laughs) good God. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to kill you off already. Oh, this is hurtful. Uh, Yeah, no. Um, See what happens, McMaster, when you play Uh, World of Warcraft? We just have no use for you anymore. Good God. Uh, no, my game of the week is actually a board game. Oh, wait a minute. Oh. How do you know about those? I have a huge board game collection. Oh, there is that. Uh, but, um, Professor, I just want to tell you real quick. I'm not sure if you know this. I don't want you to embarrass yourself. Uh, Monopoly and, uh, and, and Risk, those are kind of passe these days. Oh, uh, well, even yeah. if you have 90 copies of it? It's just that is a huge board game collection. Yeah. That's yeah. Board game collection is ninety copies of Risk, the Star Wars, Hobbit, skid, all that. Yeah, a skid of, of monopolies. Uh, uh, Master, can I can I turn this into a quiz? Give uh, us clues about is it is it a board game that folks would know, or is it a kind of obscure one? Uh, it depends on the folks. Well, you know what? I, I let's go. I think yeah, let's go. Give us clues and let's see who can guess it first, me or Rob, based on the clues you give us. Can do right. that be like a good quiz? Sure, I can do that. All right, rock and roll. All right, uh, first clue: it's not available 
in general. Is it, called, is it called Terra Mystica? No. Okay. Mm, that's, mm. It is. I mean, what I mean is currently out of print. Oh, I thought you meant oh. not yet. Okay. Oh yeah, no, it's currently out of print. It's All not right, Space Hulk, is it? No, it's not Space Hulk. Cosmic Encounters in print. Could it be the Dune board game? Did you score a copy of the original <laughs> Avalon Hill Dune? No, I actually think... Prime I request. Maybe I, maybe I should go do that, because I think I know where one is. Uh, but anyway, um, no, no, uh, okay. Uh, the guy that designed this game recently had a hit game come out. Hmm. An out-of-print game, but, well, it's got to be... Is his name Rainer... Can we ask questions? You could ask, sure. I don't is know. His <laughs> <name's Rainer. laughs> is his name Rainer Kinesia? No. No, that's not even fair, because, like, that's half the board games. That's a good point, right? Ever. So, like... <laughs> so he designed it. I'm, that's not doing anything for me, Rob. Do you have a guess? No, I think we need more clues, because we're pretty wide open at this point. Okay. Um, it's fantasy-based. Fantasy-based, out of print. Oh, is it Talisman? That's that's probably still in print. No, it's no. Talisman's barely even a board game. Uh, uh, oh, I'm thinking about the... Um, that's so hurtful on Talisman. Probably <laughs> 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 a board game. That's harsh. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm thinking of the, the Command and Color line. Um, uh, shoot, right. the next clue. Western House version. Okay, yeah, next clue. Okay, nice clue. Good lord. Uh, okay. Let me think. <laughs> How many more clues can I give? Uh, it has an expansion that is in print. <laughs> is it a, is it a Lord of the Rings themed game? Uh, no. It took him a while to answer that, Rob. I'm wondering if maybe it is, and he's just lying. No, no, it's not. Uh, it's a, it's a one word title. Dragons. No, it's not dragons. <laughs> I've got nothing. We're, I'm Dinosaurs. Just the TV show, the game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is you. Uh, you you're just never going to guess it. That no, sounds pretty uh, painful. Right. We're uh, so far off. What <laughs> what letter does it begin with? A P. What's the second letter in the word? <laughs> An R. Pre- prestige. Pre- Precision. No. Pre- pre- precious. P-R-O. Propriety. Oh. Progress quest. Pro- pro- prophylactic. <laughs> oh, dear God, not prophylactic, the board game. That one never goes over well. Uh, no. Uh, P-R-O-P. Property. Property management. Prop-driven airplane. P-R-O-P-H. Prophecy. Prophecy. Yes. Prophecy. That's apparently, I don't know that game. Uh, my producer is telling me that that's not a valid answer. What? <laughs> yeah. Yep. yep. Sorry. Master, you've been disqualified. All right. So your your board your game of the week is some board game called Prophecy. Yeah. Rob, have you heard of this? I have not. I'm now going to look. I have not. It's All right, well, Master. Why don't you tell us about it? What is this prophecy? All thing? right. It's actually a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people refer to it as like a, a playable talisman. Uh, so you were kind of, you were kind of close. On the oh, talisman. Yeah. It's a Z-Man games. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, it's by Vlada 
Havaltel? I have no idea how to say that guy's name. So, Václav like, Havel. Is that it? No. <laughs> I, I didn't think so. <laughs> uh, however, someone that works on the art of the game is named Peter Gifford. So, shout out Peter Gifford. Everybody else, I don't know if I could pronounce their name correctly. <laughs> uh, One English name. I think that's true. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Uh, but it's by the guy that designed the Mage Knight board game. Oh, oh good. yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Don't even start with me. And uh, and, and I don't know. It, it's it's pretty good. I, I need to learn to play it a bit more. I guess or play it a few more times. Wait a minute. You need to learn to play it a bit more. Oh, like you don't you don't know how to play it yet. Well, I do, but there's God. There's like alternate rules and stuff that the game as we played it, which is just the vanilla version of it, was way too long. Which is like the problem with Talisman as well. Um, and there's ways to speed it up. So I'm just kind of curious if there was a way I could do that. Uh, right, or, Master, you know, tell me, uh, tell me three things that you like about it. Three things that I like about it. It's uh, colorful. Uh, no, it's uh oh. <laughs> it's no, it's an it's an adventure game where you build up your character. I like. Uh, I like the card. It, it, it's card based mostly, where you you throw over uh, or throw like uh, just different scenario cards in different spaces around the board, and you can fight them with magic or uh, etc. It's a lot like Talisman, uh, with a few alternate uh, rules and a different board and uh, kind of play style. But it's uh, I, I like the I like the character building. I like uh, just. You know, trying to screw people over, of course, is always fun. And uh, all those games are kind of based in that. And uh, I don't know, it, it has a, it has a very cool flow. I just kind of, I think I need to familiarize myself with a bit more of it because, uh, yeah, the vanilla game takes forever to play. So I think there's alternate rules that speed it up. Uh, how did you come to this, McMaster? Oh, well... You know, I'm a fan of the Mage Knight game that you loathe so, and uh, and this is kind of a weird story. But um, when we're, <laughs> I started looking for the prophecy, and it's been out of uh, it's been out of print for quite some time. I, I've heard that they're going to reprint it this year. Uh, I started looking for it. I never could find it. I looked all over the place for months and months. Me and uh, Gus Mastropa both uh, always talked about looking for that. And uh, then when I was packing up to move to my new place, I found a copy of it, and it, I apparently had bought it. <laughs> and I just don't remember buying it. And I have a lot of board games, and I think it just kind of got pushed in the back somewhere. <sighs> that, that's what happens, McMaster, when you, uh, when you drink an online shop. That's true. <laughs> I was thinking uh, that was kind of a really cool version of doing your laundry and finding, you know, five bucks in the pocket or something. It's like, oh, that's a board game I've been looking for. It's right there. <laughs> uh, for uh, for magic nerds, that's like a, a friend of mine. We we played magic a long time ago, and he he put on a jacket uh, after a couple of years and found a chaos orb, which was an out of print card that was worth wow. about wow time yeah. <laughs> in his pocket. <laughs> Which he probably put for safekeeping, and it was so well, safe he forgot about it. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, no. He had opened like a couple of pa- uh, booster packs, and he just stuck them in his pocket. And then I get, he hadn't worn the jacket for like a couple of years, put it on, and pulled out the boosters. And yeah, it was chaos orb and some stuff. And it was funny. Yeah. All right. So, McMaster, your game of the week is a board game no one's ever heard of that is obviously not good enough to still be in print called Prophecy. And the first right. thing you said about it that you liked was that it was colorful. 
It has <laughs> colors. It's not yeah, it's colors. Not, so yeah, this if you're colorblind, not, not the yeah. game for you. <laughs> right. yeah. uh, all right, Rob, what do you have to beat that? Well, the week. I guess I'll go with a theme. I, I'll, I'll go ahead and go with this. My game of the week is also a board game. Mm, make us guess it. Oh, okay. All right. We'll try a different version of this quiz. Okay. Okay. The first letter. The is Star X. Wars board game. The Star Wars space fighter thing that added the Millennium Falcon. First X-wing letter is there. X-wing. <laughs> I said X. Come on. How did you not get that? Like, bam. <laughs> McMaster, you owe me 20 bucks for that. That was a contest, oh. and $20 was up for, I forgot to mention beforehand, but oh, whoever yeah. guessed Rob's game, the other person had to pay him 20 bucks. So, oh, McMaster, you can right. PayPal me that later. What's the exchange right, rate on blood debt to 20 bucks? <laughs> uh, a blood debt is worth, uh, so for 20 bucks, I will relinquish two blood debts. Oh, oh, really? Wow. Blood I, I, thought the, cheap. I thought the market would have been flooded so much with those freaking blood debts that uh, <laughs> they'd be worth nothing now. <laughs> Gaster, I tell you what. For you, I'll make a deal. $5 for every blood debt. Oh, that's pretty sweet. Oh, yeah. That okay. is putting too many blood debts out in the market. Yeah. All right. So uh, X-Wing, the board game. And I, I want to hear you. I don't know if you've talked about it on this podcast before, but you have a pretty sweet setup going on over there. So tell us yeah. what's going on. So with it's, your, it's your X-Wing. Uh, I think it's all called X-Wing, the miniature game, officially. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way this game works is it's it's played on a tabletop. So I'm not sure if you really would say board game or not, but you play it on a table. Uh, so the generic setup is you just throw out your table, you put it up, put it out there, and it has these miniatures for ships that stand on these plastic stands. On the plastic stands, you put down a little cardboard token that will tell you what the ship is. Um, the tokens matter because a TIE fighter isn't just a TIE fighter. A TIE fighter could be several different versions of it. You know, it could be just generic academy pilot, which has you know a low point cost and no special abilities and just basic stats, um, or it could be some super character from the expanded universe or even the standard movies that has some cool special ability and some other things. And, of course, they have point costs associated with them, so there's a whole metagame about building a particular setup. Um, but what's what makes the game interesting for me, among a few other things, is that the way, they, the way the game works. So there's a lot of people that number crunch and they say, hey, this kind of army is super powerful, this kind of army is not. But what seems to matter a lot beyond just what you bring to the table is, unlike most games, it seems like there's some skill about playing it and about really anticipating what your opponent's doing because it's trying to mimic a dogfight mm-hmm. where everybody selects their move in secret and moves are determined by what type of ship you have. You have a little dial that lets you pick what kind of move you're, you're going to do. You know, a straight move, a left-hand turn, a hard left-hand turn, a turnaround, you know, type move or or whatever, and then you put these all down in secret, so nobody knows what everybody's doing, and everything pretty much shoots out of, say, a forward arc, so you're always trying to get, say, behind somebody, and you don't want them to be behind you, so it's really mimicking a dogfight-type scenario, and when you you have to reveal your moves in a certain order, depending on pilot skill, which is determined, of course, by what sort of person is on that particular model that you've chosen, and when you pick your move, say you picked a... Um, sloping or a a small uh, left-hand turn, well, then you pick up out of your pile of of extra stuff, your your tokens, they have these little templates that are, you know, these thin movement lines that then you you find the one for the, you know, the the three medium left-hand turn, 
you slot it into the front of the piece, you pick the piece up, and then you slot it on the far side of this uh, elongated piece, and that tells you exactly where you move. So you're really regimented in what type of move you have by the, the move you pick. And, and there's a whole subtle game to it about trying to figure out, you know, like, okay, I think he's going to go here, so I'm going to try to move here. And then the, you know, the counter game of, well, he thinks I'm going to do this, so I'm going to do that because I don't want him to be behind me kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really neat the way it plays out. It, it There's a whole other story, but it borrows very much from people might be familiar with the, the Wings of Glory series, which is very very it's exactly similar. what I was thinking of. Yeah, the card very World similar. War I thing. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. But that was done with cards, and the argument is this is not done. I mean, that's a whole nother isn't, podcast. Isn't it the same designer, the same company, at least, right? Aren't they both fans of flight? Well, <laughs> I'm not sure you really want to go down this rabbit hole, but um, there was some argument about, um, I guess, Fantasy Flight had a, had approached the designer of, or, or was in was in charge of, of publishing the Wings of Glory, and they were yeah. thinking about doing some other kinds of game. I'm probably going to get some of the details slightly off here. but People you know, can yell think, the corrections at the podcast. Yes, they can yeah. feel free to yell the, the corrections, and remember, rage more than four hours, consult your physician. Um, and then at some point, essentially said, no, no, we're not really interested in your game, we're going to go with something else. And then when the something else showed up, it pretty much is, I mean, I would argue mechanically, it's like version 2.0. And there, and I guess the, the counter-argument was, no, 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 we're not using cards, we're using cardboard templates. We don't use a random token you pick out of a pool for damage. We have, you know, uh, card-based draws. Uh, we use, you know, dice to, a, to hit rather than, you know, a random token draw. So, yeah, mechanically it's different, but if you're being honest with yourself looking at it, they're pretty similar. Um, and Rob, you just recently got uh, a little injection of content into your copy of X-Wing, right? What, what's the new stuff that you just got? Well, um, so before I go too far from the way maneuvers work, what I want to say, one of the reasons I really like this game, and one reason that I'm hoping if anybody's listening to this might pay attention for a moment here, is what's cool about this is the templates are already they're predetermined. You pick your move, and that's how far you move. There's no measuring involved with a tape measure. When you roll to hit, you just roll. You see it uh, either a... a, a a star meaning damage, or an empty star meaning critical hit, or nothing means miss, which is really nice and really easy to interpret, say, for a youngster who maybe is still learning how to read, um, or doesn't, you know, is still working on those math skills. And so it's a way for Adam and I to really enjoy something. You know, he loves Star Wars, I grew up with Star Wars, and we can play these games together, and he's super excited about the times we get to play these games together. And it just really it works because they're so. You know, yeah, I, I, we kind of have to stumble. You know, I'll have him read out you know certain abilities, but in general, he he gets it. He can do it. He doesn't need me to essentially play it for him. He can make his own decisions. It's really interesting working on reading skills with it. It's really interesting having him try to figure out which direction he thinks he's going to go. And I'll do questions like, "Where do you think I'm going to go?" And he kind of points out, and I'm like, "Well, where do you think you would want to do to do that?" So it's a great um, family activity. I really like that. It's very fun to play with kiddo. Mm-hmm. Um, now, beyond that, what kind of gave it its new life, I mean, we already kind of had um, uh, life breathed into it, and, uh, and and there was a Wave 2 that just got released, which the first set that originally came out basically had TIE Fighter, X-Wing, Y-Wing, and uh, the TIE Advance, which is the Darth Vader ship. So you really only had four ships. You only had, say, the pilots and abilities that went with those ships, so it got a little stale as you were trying to do different things. You know, it became stale. Now they've, of course, expanded their world with the, the new wave that came out that adds A-Wing, 
It adds uh, TIE Interceptor, um, and it adds large ships, which weren't in there before, which you have, generically speaking, you have the YT-1300. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be said differently. It's called the Millennium Falcon, Rob. Everybody knows. Yes, everyone, even the box says Millennium Falcon. But, yes, it is, it is functionally the Millennium Falcon, but going back to where I started. It's not Han Solo up in that piece. Well, in order for it to really be the Millennium Falcon or be the Millennium Falcon piloted by Han Solo, that would be a different um, point cost that you would pick. I mean, you could it could be Chewie as the pilot of a YT-1300. It could be Han Solo as a pilot of the YT-1300, or it could be Chewie or Han Solo as pilots of the Millennium Falcon when you buy the little certificate that makes it into a Millennium Falcon, which changes its abilities a little bit. You have to buy a separate certificate to make your YT-1300 a Millennium Falcon? In game terms, yeah. You essentially, you... Oh, oh okay. It's not like yeah. they're bilking you for money. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not okay. saying that you, you go and buy it at the store. I'm saying that's okay. one of the options that you're... <laughs> you know, you could, so at the bottom of the pile, you could just, in points of the game, make it pretty right. cheap. You just, you have a generic smuggler pilot flying the YT-1300. Right, right. Or you I, I, was, I thought there was some sort of micropayment shenanigans yes, going no, on. No, I'm no. sorry. I get my hackles up at that. I'm, I'm a video gamer. That's what I expect. Yeah, no. But then you go to the far side of the, the spectrum, and it could be, you know... The Millennium Falcon with Han and Chewie and the, you know, Luke Skywalker gunning for it, all this kind of stuff. But so of course he loves that. And um, there's the Fire Spray, aka Slave One, which of course. Yeah, I've never even heard of that. I knew from playing X-wing Alliance that the Millennium Falcon was like a TY-28 or whatever. But uh, I I did not know that Slave One was anything other than Slave One. It's called the yeah. Fire Spray. I I never I didn't know that until I I read it either, or it was part of the. When I, the series expansion came out, I'm like, oh, okay, I, I just thought it was Slave 1, and I, I assume it had something to do with the, whatever, the mandolin armor wars, whatever. So it, it's, like, uh, it's like Air Force 1 is a 747. Slave 1 is a fire spray, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a way of thinking about it, because essentially you have a chassis, and then depending on what points or how you set it up in the, in the game, it, the chassis becomes maybe a specific version of that chassis or a specific pilot in that. You know, like it could be Slave One, but not Boba Fett in it. Maybe it's generic smuggler, or they have some other named figures that I don't know enough of the expanded. Like he's letting somebody else borrow it for the weekend, that kind of thing. I'm sorry? Like Boba Fett is letting someone else borrow it for the weekend. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. He basically, you know, yeah, I mean, they didn't show Slave One after he dropped off Han, so who knows? Maybe some random smugglers out there joyriding in Slave One. Who knows? So, McMaster, did you call it Steve One? (laughs) (laughs) That's a different game, McMaster. That's in the back of the closet. (laughs) Uh, McMaster, let's you and I play this. Now, because I'm pretty good with these games, I'm going to let you have twice as many ships as I have. So here you go. You get these two TIE Fighters. They don't have oh, any ships in it. You don't, no, no, you don't get Steve One or Slave oh. One, but you get two. I mean, Master, tell you what though, I'm not going to just make you have rookie pilots. You get two Tie Fighters, and for pilots, you can have C-3PO and um, and Aunt Beru. And okay. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm going to be playing. I'm only going to take one ship, so it's going to be a All challenge right. for me. I'm going to have Darth Vader flying the Millennium Falcon for my that side. Does, that does seem fair. Yeah. Yeah. As fun as that sounds, you can't quite go that off track. But what the heck? Why are they limiting the fun I want to have? I can play however I want. Flying a Tie Fighter in the combat—I like. I would like to see that. I think there should be a fan made. No, maybe not. Never mind. Can I give you guys a quiz? Yes. Uh, Okay. 
So this is based on dogfighting. It comes from the, the basic influences, that Wings of Glory thing that, that, that you mentioned, Rob. Uh, I'm going to give you the names of four dogfighting maneuvers. Mm. Only one of them is real. Uh-huh. Okay? So I want you to guess of these four dogfighting maneuvers, which is the real one. Okay, you ready? All right, yeah. Crazy Ivan, a Himmelman, a Split S, and a Bootlegger's Reverse. Of those four, Crazy Ivan, Himmelman, Split S, and Bootlegger's Reverse, only one of those is an actual dogfighting maneuver. McMaster, what do you guess is the real dogfighting maneuver? I'll go with Split S. Yeah, Rob, split S. it's the Corrigan turn in Star Wars, but yes, Split S. Or they give it a name. Why didn't you guys fall for Himmelman? Because there's an Immelman. I was trying to make or, you oh, trick you, but why didn't we fall for Crazy Ivan? Uh, Crazy Ivan's a submarine thing. Submarine exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't know that, McMaster. You have no reason to know that. Yeah, you've he's never, never played seen a Hunt for Red October. Yeah, Ever. no. Ever, <laughs> oh, yeah. you guys know that from the movie? Oh, I guess so. Dong. <laughs> Did you just call me a dong? <laughs> Maybe. All right, that's it. You don't get Aunt Baru. Instead, oh. I'm going to give you a mouse droid to fly to your other Tie Fighter. No, that's just that's just cool. <laughs> So uh, another another part of this X-Wing, which is kind of fun before we, we move on, is, um, as I said, you just start with a basic table. They don't give any mat. There's nothing but all kinds of players. They post pictures about different fun things that they do with, with you know, anything from just getting black felt and throwing dots at it to make star patterns to right. printing out pictures from the Hubble telescope, et cetera. Everybody's got their own brand or whatever that they did. Um, I was lucky that I had somebody um, through my work that was able to, to help me. I basically found a... Uh, so, so look. One of the first, the first Christmas I had with with Adam, uh, he was so into Star Wars, and and we got a, a bunch of the um, Empire Strikes Back Hoth battle type theme stuff. So he, you know, adats and that sort of thing that he was super excited about. And uh, so, also a little bit of video games. He always talked about those toys as being his Hoth level. Um, so when I was trying to figure out how to set up our X-wing table, I went looking for images of kind of space but icy type looks with with ice planets and ice rings and that sort of thing. And I I found one that I thought really worked, and uh, got a nice big image of it printed up. And then I also started finding some other ways to kind of create some um, ice asteroids with different sort of crafting materials, and got some some different effects for them. So they. they I think they turn out fairly nice. and got some plastic work so that they can stand off the table. It's, it's a pretty nice-looking setup, I, I think. Um, and I was working on that last weekend on finishing up the asteroids, knowing that the Wave 2 was showing up any second. He was so excited and so excited, and it also report card week was right before Wave 2 hit. I knew my Wave 2 stuff was in the mail for us to play together. But we got to the end of the week, and he was you know, really working hard on all of his stuff and, and, and working on his homework and was so fidgeting about his report card. Was it going to be good? Was it going to be bad? Did he improve and whatever? And, and I kind of played it up a bit. And you know, once we go through the whole thing, and we were very, of course, pleased, and he did some improvements, I said, okay, guy, tell you what, what do you pick the activity. What do you want to do? And he emphatically yelled out, I want to play X-Wing. I am so excited about playing X-Wing. I want to play some X-Wing. I'm like, are you sure? I, I don't know if we can do X-Wing. And there's this box on the table. I don't know what's in that box. Should we go look at that box? And and when we went to open the box, he was so thrilled about it. It was it was great. It was good times. Well, what happened when all the snakes and spiders flew out? <laughs> Attacked him. 
<laughs> oh, that was the other box. I forgot to have them out. Oh. That's if you went with the bad plan all week. Oh, that was the bad. That was the bad report card. Yeah, if you went, to, if you had the bad plan, which is when he you know doesn't stick with the good plan, then yeah, that would have been the other box. So yeah. All right, so you jokers picking board games, so I guess I can't sit here and talk about my new uh, Netrunner habit. Ooh, I have heard a lot about this one. Tell me. Really, well, actually, I don't have it yet. I've oh. just started the habit. Uh-huh. Someone, I finally had a, uh, you know, I, we talked about it on this podcast before. Uh, we've had folks on here. I think at least two different people on this podcast have told us how good it is. I've had several of my friends tell me about it. I finally had a buddy come over with these pre-deck built, pre-built decks that he had made, uh, and he showed me the basic mechanics, and we went through a practice game, which I lost egregiously, but I immediately wanted to play again. And then I immediately wanted to play again after that game. And again, uh, I just totally fell head over heels in it. So I really like Netrunner, um, and I shortly thereafter went online and ordered the, the cards. So I am now cultivating a Netrunner habit. It's not fully in effect yet. So um, I have some questions for you, Tom. If only it was 96. Yeah. 96, uh, like 1996. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. When, when it was when it, when it came out. Oh, oh, right, right. Before they made an LCG out of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know how similar the mechanics are though, because I didn't play. I know of it from back then. I don't. I don't know how much they did to adapt it to an LCG. Um, but no, my my game of the week. I do. I want to move on uh, just because we we've been going long. But my game of the week is actually a video game. I'm not sure if you guys are into these things. Do you have you heard of these? Yeah. No. Like they have moving Real pictures. Games? Yeah, it's, it's cool, crazy new stuff. Uh, no, it's like so, pops, right? Yeah. I know that you guys are all about your Monster Hunter, uh, and I am too. Like, I'm looking forward to that. But I just want you to know, I didn't realize this. There's an excellent Wii U game coming out next week that is not Monster Hunter, Monster Hunter Trifecta Pro. Uh, Wait, I thought Monster Hunter Nino Kuni Puki was the only game that was on the Wii U. I, I'm not a thinking here's if there was a, any other here, game. Yeah, here's another one. You ready for this? Lego Undercover City. Oh, yeah. I do want to try that. Now, i got to let you know, it's not a Lord of the Rings Lego. It doesn't what? have Batman in it. There's no Harry Potter. Uh, what are the other? There's no uh, Star Wars or Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, so this isn't, as far as I know, I mean, maybe they're actual Undercover City Lego like physical sets, but I, I don't think this is an actual property like i don't i don't know what it's just generic city stuff but don't let that dissuade you um so so what happened with this lego game traveler's tales has been doing the lego games for a while and they would farm out to this developer that they eventually acquired now called traveler's tale fusion i believe uh and they're in england they would farm out to these guys the ds ports and the Vita ports and stuff like that so finally these guys were given a chance to make their own full-featured Lego game, rather than just a port of another one. And that's what Undercover City is. So Undercover City uh, is basically Grand Theft Auto in Legos. And it has all the classic collectibles that you want. It is incredibly wide open. It's very big. There's a lot of variety. There's a new collectible system. You don't just collect the little studs, but you have to collect bricks that you use to build new things in the city. Um, and and you you get different Lego figures. You're always playing the same guy, but the idea is that he gets disguises. So rather than 
changing around which character you're playing, you're always this guy, Chase McLean. Um, if you don't know what those are, are nod to, I can't, I can't help you. This may not be the game for you. Um, but uh, Chase McLean can dress up as different characters, and it gives him different abilities. Uh, and generally, this is a way to like unlock new doors and access new areas. But Traveler's Tales has always been very good about making that seem more than just a key hunt. You know, like now I can walk in the red door. Uh, they really do a good job of bringing breathing life into that kind of mechanic. Um, so the thing with this Lego Undercover City. It's a Lego game, so obviously very kid-friendly. But what makes it, I think, appealing as an adult is their whole subject matter. You know, the name Chase McLean. It's like John McLean and this generic Chase that's an action hero name. These are all riffs on, like, 70s cop shows and 80s action movies and stuff. Uh, and there are all these jokes that I think kids aren't going to get because they're not going to understand the subject material that they're riffing on. Even just the music. Like, the music is this 70s cop show stuff with a bongo drum uh, going. Uh, kids won't understand that. That's totally there for the parents, I, I think. Uh, so it's on the Wii U. It's not going to come, I don't think, to any other system because they do a lot of Wii U-specific gimmicks with the little gamepad where you have the map, and they even do stuff where you have to hold up the, the Wii U to look through it at the TV screen to do this little, like, scanner thing to spot criminals and hidden collectibles and stuff. Um, also, a byproduct of being on the Wii U, it takes about eight years to load the game. Oh, yes. So you'll, be, you'll have, you know what? Bring a bring a handheld with you. Play play something on your play a little Monster Hunter on your DS while you're waiting for it to load. And it does that awful thing. That, why would anyone ever do this? So you put it in the game. You put the disc in there, and it takes I, I timed it. It takes something like 40 seconds to load. And these days, that's an eternity. When you uh, 40 seconds, whatever. But when you're waiting to play a game, that's forever. And once those 40 seconds have gone, you're at a screen where your only options are pick new game or load of previous saved game, at which point another 40 seconds to a minute while you're loading your saved game. Why do I have to go to that screen? Why do I have to sit through the loading time? I don't know. Maybe they need that for some technical reason. Um, but it's just, man, the Wii U is so freaking slow. It's so annoying. Uh, but it's a good game. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I'll have a review up for it uh, in a few days. I want to get a little farther into it. Uh, Lego City Undercover on the Wii U, a real unexpected delight. I'm, I'm really enjoying that. Sounds true. All right. Uh, McMaster, there's no multiplayer. There's no split screen, so you're off the hook for this one. Good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll probably check it out. All right. Uh, all right, McMaster, what are we be uh, what are we going to be talking about next week on, on the Quarter to Three Games podcast? God knows, probably that Lego game <laughs> or, Star or StarCraft Two or something. Oh, and uh, news as well. Great, game. there you go. So uh, join us for that, Rob. Thank you for uh, hanging out with us today. It's always good to have you back. Right, thank um, you. Thanks for having me. And a special thanks also. You guys missed her. It was awesome. Vicky was here earlier. Uh, thank you to Vicky. I encourage everyone to look out for her, her upcoming uh, Tomb Raider Let's Plays. Um, and she'll be back next week to check in with us on how that's going. Uh, and we will see everyone here uh, same time next week. You thought the leaden winter would bring you down forever But you rode upon a steamer to the violence of the sun Your eyes with trembling mermaids 
Uh, real quick thing about the Lego game. One mm-hmm. thing you can do in Lego Undercover City, that as far as I know, you could never do in an earlier Lego game, uh-huh. invert the Y-axis. Oh, nice. Awesome. Now, the number one thing I've wanted to ask you about is when you say kid-friendly, I've noticed that Lego games walked away from, they seem to get more and more and more puzzly, which creates certain impasses for younger ones. Is this one you know, away from that? Is it more, as you did say, open world? Is it more where you can just play around with it kind of thing? I thought you were going to say the puzzles meant you needed to have a kid along to help you solve them. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just constant, like, you know, you need to clip this lever or that lever and do this or do that, and by the way, the other person can't do anything until this happens, and it, it can become very... Uh... Well, there's, there's no co-op, so uh, one way or another, you're going to have to wait for the other player. Um, but uh, no, the, the puzzles in this so far have just been pretty much... Like, there, there's been no conventional puzzles that I've seen. It's pretty much just go here, collect this, and go here, do that. Now you got to climb up here. Uh, I have not been stymied yet. And, and by the way, I I never figured out in the Lord of the Rings Lego how, like, the quests work, for instance. Like, there are little random quests. Not random, but there are these little mini quests you could do. I don't, I don't know how to do them. Like, oh. I, I never got that part of the Lego Lord of the Rings. What, what, oh. McMaster, did you figure it out? Oh, I did a bunch of quests, yeah. Like, you did stuff where you're supposed to, like, bring some hobbit chick her hat and, and things yeah. like that. I, like, yeah, find her lost hat. You find all these different things throughout the world, and each of the weird random know, items you find some. all has, like, a quest associated with them. So, And you have to <sighs> forge a lot. All right, well, come over here and do these on my system. Finish them on my save game. 